Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Celtic Frost of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. a Me Too incident occurring in Jari from Winter Sun's third sauna. <clears throat> and I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Horned Hunter of the Moonlit Glade. <laughs> I think I uh, think that was uh, one of the main heroes I used in Warcraft 3, so that's cool. Oh yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, that's basically that guy or the uh, that guy or Orion from Warhammer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Chad Orion. A lot of a uh, lot of board game discussion and uh, tabletop discussion on the uh, on the Discord lately. Yeah, I'm glad we managed to um, align ourselves with Warhammer. That was successful, Brandon. Um, <laughs> well, that was that you, was early on. <laughs> yeah, true, true. But like, we we now have fans who talk about it in the discord um <laughs> you uh you've been playing a lot of gloomhaven you said uh yeah uh my wife got it for me it's something that i always uh thought of picking up but the price tag on that guy is pretty steep but uh she decided splurge as a gift and uh Aww. i am i am ready at any point to quit this podcast to become a, a full-time professional gloomhaven player are know? there gloomhaven podcasters uh, there should be. I'll just. Yeah, I'll just you start could probably make a lot. Of, I mean, dude, you could probably make a lot of money doing that. Like that. There's probably there's a market for that shit. Nobody cares about fucking Lithuanian war metal, but uh, <laughs> well, a few people do apparently. Of a very I, small. If somebody said a bit, If somebody told me Lithuanian war metal, I would click. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. So uh, you got a little bit of little bit of news that we're going to be covering next week, right? Yeah, mini news. Uh, our bro in Ancient Gate from uh, Argentina has uh, put out a new EP um, to follow up on last year's excellent Empire Beyond Dusk, which was pretty much the first review that put us on the map, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, he was, he was really supportive back then. And uh, this new one is a pretty substantial EP. We're going for... Uh, well over 20 minutes um so uh it'll it'll get a review next week for sure and it's Definitely. it's pay what you want on Bandcamp right now it's called forgotten dark age that's <laughs> just designed for you <laughs> yes oh and it's got a great cover too dude very like uh primordial, yeah, yeah, I saw ex that. primordial extreme metal celtic knots sort of it could almost be like a deviated instinct or bolt thrower cover i was about to say it could be like a crust cover or something exactly yeah no <laughs> all right uh i've been terrible about remembering to mention this lately but you know which is amazing because i've been doing it for almost a year now uh social media follow us on it uh, whatever service you happen to be listening to us on, be that Spotify, directly off Podbean, or maybe Tidal. Maybe you're listening on Tidal or Deezer or something like that. Be sure to hit the uh, subscribe button if you're listening on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe, send us a lock of your hair. And then uh, if you really want to get fully vested in the uh, Terminus multi-level marketing empire, you can follow us uh, on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, I run the Facebook over at Terminus Podcast, and the Black Metal Guy runs the uh, Instagram over at Terminus Extreme Metal. But then, more importantly, should you want to truly join the uh, paramilitary forces of Terminus and uh, join our Black Circle, you can do that on Patreon or Subscribestar. Uh, $3 and up gets you access to all of our Terminus Prime bonus episodes, the newest of which was a very cool, very long uh, tutorial on the forgotten torture doom scene of the 2000s. And then uh, $5 and up, if you're feeling social, 
Uh, gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where, as I discussed earlier, we pretty much just talk about board games now. <laughs> Metal has fallen way by the wayside. <laughs> it's, all, it's, all, it's all memes and board games all the way down. Yes. Although, with, with uh, you know, sort of um, invaluable nuggets of metal wisdom interspersed. <laughs> Always. <laughs> well, I mean, everything that we disgorge from our mighty throats is invaluable metal <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> All right. Okay, should we tell uh, them what we're doing? Yeah, we should. I'm really excited about today's episode because we've got four records that I just fucking love. Like we I got am... three records that I fucking love. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Okay, so, but uh, no, I think as far as like just pound for pound every record this is one of the best episodes of the year as far as my personal enjoyment um so spoilers all of these are awesome uh, we're mixing it up we're going back and forth this time so i've got the opening slot with the debut record by oriflam uh and correct me on my pronunciation legade ardente no legide ardent um, the, uh, the, the, the strong accent, it's like accent igu, the one that turns towards the right, opens up towards the right, means that you make that like an A. So it's Le oh, Guide okay. Ardent, yeah. Le Guide Ardent. Yeah, well, plus it's uh, it's Quebecois French, so I don't know how that okay, alters so, yeah, the pronunciation like, too. Le Guide Ardent. <laughs> really just make it spicy. Just sound really drunk, yeah. Get that, get that real fucking poutine voice going well. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is, uh, you know... Metal Noir Québécois, um, and it is fucking awesome. Uh, brand new band came out of nowhere with this debut record, and uh, this is out on Sepulchral Productions, uh, who is a a label that we've gone back and forth on over the years. You know, I think they put out a lot of stuff we really like and a lot of stuff that we don't like, but this one is a this one's a, a fucking slam dunk. And I think that pound for pound, if you're a Terminus listener and you like the sort of aesthetic we've cultivated on the show, just click out of the tab and buy it now. You're in for a treat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, honestly, kind of same with the next one. Um, yep. Maybe a little more, maybe a little more poppy than a lot of the stuff we cover on the show, but certainly uh, bracing, heroic, and uh, absolutely insane. Uh, this is <laughs> Auspicious Atavism by a band called Anahata. Uh, this is a, a, a new project, debut full length. Um, it's I think it's an independent release for now. Um, it won't and, be for long. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, also, I bet these these are the kind of guys who seem like they'll build their own infrastructure that maybe they'll make a label. But um, mm -hmm. but yeah, so this is... Uh, we just, if you've listened to our Cromlech interview, I talked there with those guys about the notion of Cromlech as an extreme heavy metal band. Um, and... Uh, this is basically power metal, but strongly tending towards extreme heavy metal. And there are some, uh, I think, some common uh, common motifs with the uh, Oriflam that we can get into. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, lots of uh, very interesting threads throughout mm -hmm. this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, so my, for my second contribution. Uh, you got your black metal in my anime soundtrack. Oh no, you got your anime soundtrack in my black metal. It is Midnight Betroth's Dreamless out on Atrocity Altar and Northern <laughs> Silence. Uh, uh, very uh, 
lo-fi digital uh, symphonic black metal after a fashion, but we think it's closer to some other things. So, uh, and I, I, I think the spoiler here is this one the the one of the four that you're not quite as keen on. No, (laughs) but that was that was fully expected when I chose it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'll be it'll be good content. Um, All right, so wrap it up for us. All right, and then finally, uh, as um, a sort of bouquet of spring flowers for the death metal guy, I chose uh, Anatomia's Corporeal Torment. Uh, this is out on Mesako on Oyo Records or Dark Descent, depending on whether you are in the USA or Europe. Yeah, I uh, think uh, Misako is doing the vinyl press, and then uh, Dark Descent's doing the CD. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, Dark Descent are like CD diehards. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Anatomia for those who don't know is a long-established Japanese sort of, I guess, death doom band. Uh, people often associate them with autopsy worship. Uh, however, they have uh, they have gone much further afield this time, and it turns out to be pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yes, it does. All right. First up, very excited to talk about Oriflam. Uh, and you pronounce the album title. You're better with French than me. Le Guide Ardent. Le Guide uh, Ardent. On the Quebecois label Sepulchral Productions. Did they do this cimetière that from last year? I, let me check, because I, you know, right. I want to say you yes, check but it while might I be... talk. Sure. Or I guess, wait, this is your pick. You should fucking talk. Whatever. We'll <laughs> figure out the cimetière later. Um, let's see. Cimetière, uh, that was, let's see, Extinction. Uh, no, that was on Epitaph Productions, but I think they're, like, affiliated with Sepulchral, uh, in, in some fashion. Uh, anyway, Oriflam, uh, really not a lot of information to go off of. This is a three-piece from Montreal. Uh, looks like the main guy, uh, with, like, the most experience is gonna be the drummer, a guy named uh, Morthios, uh, who is in, uh, he's, like, done some live work with Akitsa, and he's just been in a few kind of black metal groups from around the area that I'm not super familiar with, like uh, Atramentus, Gavura, Sanctus, uh, etc. And, uh, I mean, shit, this is one of those cases where, <clears throat> from the first few notes of the first song, it was like, oh, well, this is prime terminus material. I, d- I don't think we've had a, a record that has hit all the notes based on what we like and our listeners like <laughs> more completely than this. You know? Yeah, this is pretty, yeah, pretty up our alley. This is as though someone was crafting something specifically to appeal to us. <laughs> because, I mean, it's hitting, uh, so this is a, this is a, a, a true black metal record uh, that I would describe at least as very within the sort of uh, solar metal tradition that we've discussed a little bit on the show. Uh, this owes a lot to Spite Extreme Wing, uh, yep. and in this case, I don't think that it's a parallel evolution thing. I think they specifically yeah. listen to Spite Extreme. It's Wing. not just because we're obsessed with Spite Extreme Wing; they probably actually listen to them. Yes, they. <laughs> this is probably been. Case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's very rare to find someone who actually. But I think they did a lot of hard listening to Spite Extreme Wing. Um, and as far as describing the sound, uh, you got your Spite Extreme Wing. This is in some places comparable to something like Old Dewan Gash. Uh, and some of the riff patterns are a little bit like Senor Voland, but 
you know, we were going back and forth on the notes on this, and I think that based on my description, you were expecting something a lot brighter and more airy. And the actuality is this is actually much darker um, in tone and in style than a lot of those kinds of bands, which I think is an interesting uh, differentiation. Yes, this is certainly, um, definitely fits in the solar metal tradition for sure, in terms that it's drawing on this Italian and French thing, uh, in that it uh, goes for this uh, a very sort of noble atmosphere, um, and in that it's preoccupied with the sun. Uh, it's called Oriflamme as the band, right? So that is, mm-hmm. you know, gold flame, or something like that. Uh, yeah, golden flame. And it's the, it was the special, like it was the, magical battle standard of the uh of the french kings in the middle ages starting at least with charlemagne oh nice um, i didn't know that yeah and so it, it's this if you if you look it up it's it's really beautiful um and when they raised the oriflamme it meant that there will be no quarter till the battle is over so you can see the uh survival of pagan imagery into christian times right it's you know the sun of course they'd associate it with christ but it also goes back to the roman uh, the late roman sol invictus and uh mithra uh, mm-hmm. or mithra sorry uh these sort of uh martial sun worship cults in late rome uh we'll get into that for real with the anahata um, oh yeah <laughs> and it relates to ideas of human sacrifice um, yeah, no, I think... Uh, for instance, there are there are moments in the Old Testament, different tradition, but in the Old Testament, when, like, uh, you know, Yahweh will tell them to just raise a town and sort of, sacri- you know, put it, put the whole town to the sword as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. This is, it relates to that structurally. Uh, it parallels that, and you can see it relating to something like uh, a, a Viking casting, uh, a Viking chieftain casting a spear over the heads of his enemies to consecrate them to Odo. Right, so it's like when the Oriflam goes up, glorious sun banner, but no quarter. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, it's it, it definitely does convey that atmosphere of you know being extremely dark and warlike. You know, despite its its brightness and its consonants and how um, kind of tragically beautiful everything is. It's it's chivalric, but it's it's not forgetting that knights were supposed to kill people. You know? <laughs> well, I, I don't think the best chivalric stuff does. I think it just brings a very different atmosphere to that. Well, than we usually compared to something like Vehemence, you know? I think Vehemence is about killing people. It's, you know, it's... Um, it's, it's nicer like, about it, though. <laughs> well, that's the, that's, that's the intensity of it. That's the... Cra- that's the Yes, it's asking you to imagine this completely different worldview. Yeah, that's so, fair. It's like there are uh, the way the way people talked about it in the Middle Ages will seem would seem bizarre and crazy to modern people. Um, even the Vikings are, you know, the Vikings don't aestheticize it as much, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, b- but but like uh, but yes, I hear what you mean. This is, uh, you know, this is bro- very brooding music. It's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, wh- yeah, my, uh, the other sort of overall impression thing is the, the name of the record, right, is uh, Le Guide Ardent. Translates to something like Fiery Aegis. And the Aegis is Zeus's storm shield, uh, which he gives to Athena. It causes terror in the enemy. Um, so you can see how that relates to, um, you know, Thor of Lom. 
It causes terror in the enemy, and it's obviously associated with, you know, storm, turbulence, but it's a fiery Aegis. And so, you know, I kind of associate this record with, say, like, sun through massive distant cloud formations. Yeah, I can see say, that. I, I had expected it. this record to be, yeah, sort of bright, propulsive, highly riff-oriented. Um, and it turns out that... Uh, yeah, the, the it, it turns out that this it, it works quite differently, which we'll get into. Yeah. Uh, so, well, just so people can hear it, uh, we've got we got a two part sample for you. Well, two sections off the same song. Um, oh, so I think I honestly kind of wanted to play this. I honestly did want to play this one last. Oh, really? Okay, we can yeah, do that. Yeah, I'm just being fancy. Um, but like, uh, I think in terms of capturing the actual, like, yeah, why don't we start with yours? Well, you know, we can start with mine, and I'll say a little something about it, and it will feed well into yours. Because I think, I'm guessing you went for one of the more classically kind of bright or solar moments. Possibly. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. a little, everything's a little murky on this record. You got moments of bright okay. in the dark and vice versa. So if you want one of the moments that actually sounds like Spite Extreme Wing, uh, this is the beginning of, the very beginning of the record. Le Guide Argent, or Ardant, I think, right? Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I spelled it wrong in the notes. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and um, and what we're starting out here is at the end. You know, it's kind of a one b one, a two b two traditional structure. So we're coming in at the end of b one, and then we're going to go into the main riff, and then back to the b riff. The main riff is uh very uh, ugh, but the b <laughs> riff is really interesting. So here we go. So that should prove every, all of our listeners should just be buying this. So, so that right was now. fucking sick, right? Um, yes. But so to me, like, if you want to, like, pick out individual riffs on the record, right? Like, I love the, as soon as the first hit, I knew I was going to love it because I love just how sort of minimalistic, uh, manly it is. It has the kind of, um, it's a kind of, uh, it has a kind of 
clarity and austerity you get in a lot of the spite extreme wing riffs it's just like here are our fucking power chords right um yeah uh but right after that you get one i think one of like the best riff on the record if you had to isolate a riff which is just this um it's got uh a lot of the riffs on this record are these kind of big block based riffs which i'll get into more this has a lot of motion in it the second one it's very flowy but it's not um it's it's not ripping it's not sort of surging forward they they have this uh you it's know monolithic. you get this, yes exactly you get these sort of accented notes that fall at odd times right so da 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 da, da, da. Um, and so they move it but it has this sort of floating celestial quality it's monolithic and yet light right which mm-hmm. is why i think of really big clouds um and, uh, you know, yeah, it's just rhythmically really cool. Also, I noticed on the second go-through, I don't know if you noticed it, that the riff actually has an a, an internal variation to it. So, like, mm-hmm. the first version of it, the second version is different from the first, and you could almost order it as just one really long, sort of flowing, hovering melody. Oh, yeah, it's, it's I mean, there's... That's getting to the point where it's almost not like a, a variation. It's almost just one enormous riff. Exactly. It's getting towards into oblivion territory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, like it's well, it is the same riff. They've just changed a few intervals, but because it's so flowing, it really does feel like one thing. Um, and yeah. uh, and so yeah, that is cool. That is rising beyond the riff to like melody, right? And then mm-hmm. we get this. At the end, you could hear it slow down. You know, there are lots of dropouts in this music, which you'll get into. But mm-hmm. we get a rapid drop, and it slows down. And after that, it goes into this kind of, you know, also a thing that I wasn't expecting, based on the general things you associated it with, which are, again, all solid reference points. But it's kind of melancholy slow part, right? Uh, yeah. And that is very, like... There are a lot of those on this record. They're pretty important to it. I normally don't like parts like that very much, or could take them or leave them. Uh, but there's something on this record where, like, there's a kind of sublime slowness even to the blasting, which I'll get into later. And these slow parts seem to work with it. They're well written, um, and they are uh, well written and I think passionate. And the last track, uh, Ultim Rempar. Uh, has a lot of that and where it's very central to the song yeah I, I think you touched on something that is also very central to the music which is the pacing because this really does operate pretty much only at like an upper mid pace like the the blasting sections the blast beats are very slow comparative to a lot of other stuff in this style I, this style I mean like spite extreme wing is really fucking fast a lot of the time and these yes. guys are hanging out right around the 200 bpm mark through most of the album but you know what they're losing in pure speed they're making up in the ability to really dig into those chords it's super it's a, physical playing it's a different feel i mean i bro yeah. i don't think i don't think it gets any more physical than spite extreme wing but it's it's certainly but well it differently you know in, in spite I, I extreme wing it's in, in spite extreme wing it's 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 beautifully physical in that it's you know it's got this liquid, you know, agile quality. This has like a stomping character to it oh, at all. I, I don't know. I always imagine um, Argento, pick, or uh, yeah, like uh, picking from his elbow, kind of like it's like like they're really into the misfits, you know. It like um, 
SCW thrashes, I think. Yeah, Whereas I can see do. these guys sort of like swaying back and forth. Uh, you know, like I could see these guys playing trem kind of like Neurosis plays one note, plays like whole notes. <laughs> I imagine these guys on stage like rigidly stock still the entire time. <laughs> Have you seen Neurosis footage? You know, they're just. No, like, I haven't. They just get really, you know, it's this kind of stately, majestic music, but they get really into it. And, uh, you know, uh, Steve Von Till, he's not a big guy, but he's a very fierce, tough guy, sort of like a dwarven chieftain. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> he, he, he just stands in the middle of the stage, like legs, you know, power stance, you know, does that shit that nobody does anymore. He just straight power stances and punches his guitar. <laughs> that's always good um yeah all right so let's get to uh to uh, another sample from the end of uh le guide Ardent, um which is the section that i chose and i think that actually we're going to be starting with the uh the same riff that your sample started with or oh, at least the okay. modification of it and then it's going to spin off into kind of the climax of the song and uh, I'm glad that you featured that riff also, because one of the things this reminds me of a lot is uh, newer Maquahedal. Um, mm. Like like doing very austere, sort of blocky, chord-based versions of some of the riffs off uh, Kansu Pistola and La Mano. Um, because you can hear that... Uh, that, that idea of toying with the most epic intervals of the pentatonic scale, you can hear almost that Western feel. I would argue that this is basically outlaw rock, as we understand it. Um, a little bit less on, you know, the, some of the hardcore influence, but as far as the black metal reference points, I think it's 100% there.
Oh, no, man, that, uh... So it's actually... The first riff off your sample is the final riff on mine. I got it, uh... I got it turned around a little bit. What a closer, but, though. How that all builds back to the first riff. Oh, it's a it's a huge way. Like, the way they cycle back. You know, I, I, I wonder if it's one of those songs where it's like, you know, they swim out and then they come back to shore just in, like, a direct reverse order of riffs or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it works wonderfully. You know, Tide goes out, Tide comes back into the origin. And that originating riff... Which I'd say that's the one that really stuck out to me is very Maquahedal. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah, I could see that. Um, because it's know, got that kind of spaghetti western chord progression there. Yeah, I could I could hear yeah, I hear that for sure. I mean, yes, there are it's weird. Maquahedal is uh, often writes these really elaborate flowing riffs. Um but on on Kansu Pistola, he's definitely doing more uh because it's more ballad like He's mm-hmm. definitely he's leaving himself more room for vocals, so he's definitely doing more chord based riff and a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean mm-hmm. that's one of the cool things about Maquahedal is the juxtaposition juxtaposition of these huge chord riffs alongside these uh, honestly and very technical, very challenging kind of lead oriented riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has a lot of that same quality, just steered into this very austere, very kind of gloomy style. So it, it conveys a lot of the, it's hitting a lot of the same kind of emotional shades, but in this very muted, darker manner, which is, I think, really interesting. Yeah, I, I yeah, this is certainly like I, I certainly hear that connection um, in terms of what. Yeah. So regarding the outlaw rock thing, um, for me, at least. When I when I think of that, to me, it's always meant something like it's oriented around uh, rockish beats. So like mid tempo stuff, whether it's stomping or kind of slow to down skank beats or kind of breakdowny stuff, and even the fast part. And you know, they're they're sure blast beats are important to it. It has a relation. It comes from black metal, right? But like uh, the blast beats are more at most alternating with those slow parts and often the blasts themselves don't feel that fast Mm -hmm. so uh a good example of this would be probably the most black metal sounding band that i'd say is definitely outlaw rock is like uh mortem or something and their Mm -hmm. blasts those are basically war metal half blasts right and there's just all this stomping stuff or like almost grunge rhythms coming in there in between it uh and to me, this record this record operates way more in traditional black metal ideas of tempo. This is like, like the, we're either in full-on blast, which has a feeling of sort of not like rock kind of mid-tempo, not sort of walking, running pace, but like, uh, you know, it is this kind of, it's, it's both very fast and very, very slow at the same time. And we alternate between the blast parts and the very slow kind of trudging bursamy parts which mm-hmm. again not a big outlaw rock thing i think so that's the one thing and then more conceptually related to that um i feel like i feel like that the outlaw rock stuff has something telluric about it like it's usually kind of there's something earthy whether that's literally or figuratively like it's um okay you know like mortem you can hear them standing on the hills of you know, the, the hills and mountains of, you know, more rural New Jersey, where they're from, right? Or, mm-hmm. like, uh, 
or uh, you know, there's this earthiness to the folk narratives in Makuahitl, and the tempos again are—it's all very on the ground. It's junk, da 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 da. You know, you're on your horse, right? Out, out riding yeah. the, uh, out riding the law, um, or you know, or elegiac is also just sort of like standing on the mountainside, howling kind of music, right? Um, yeah. And this this music all just it feels it floats so freely for so much of the record that it it feels like it's just a different. It feels more rooted in traditional black metal. Uh, the the theory. fundamental. Well, it's interesting because now I'm thinking of it in these. Oh man, get pretentious! I'm thinking of it in this super abstract way of like, the the of the four elements, the fundamental one to this music is air. For sure. Um, no, no, it's like this is yeah, this is like the 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 agus. The, the yeah. Vast. And I, I'd storm. say that like, uh, but I'd say like spite extreme wing is is very kind of air element black metal as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't hear Spite Extreme Wing except maybe their last record is related to Outlaw Rock. I mean, oh it's, yeah, it's but an, ultras. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an ancestor of it in some way for sure. But like Spite Extreme Wing, yeah, Spite Extreme Wing is like this is like big roiling clouds. Spite Extreme Wing is, is thunderbolts. Definitely, and I think you've got a, a Spite Extreme Wing uh, sample for us to kind of bring this uh, together with Horrorflam a bit, right? Oh, you know, yeah. But I want to do that. Yes. Okay. This makes sense. Okay, so, uh, yes, this order makes sense. Thank you, Death Metal Guy. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he rearranged them before. So, uh, um, so in terms of what the closest... Spite Extreme Wing, as the Death Metal Guy says, often is just an extraordinarily fast band. Maybe the fastest band ever. Not necessarily in terms of absolute playing speed, right? But in terms of just dizzying momentum. Uh, and... Yeah, they're sort of like terrible clarity, these riffs that stand out with this very stark, clearly defined forms, even when they're flowing, and this kind of inexorable attack. It's just ripping music that has a close connection to hardcore. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and this is generated by certain things in the shapes of the riffs. They often have like inbuilt asymmetries that will give the riff a momentum or direction so that they sort of hurdle from one riff to the next. Um, you know, like, say, like, a, a, uh, you know, and it relates to, like, punk syncopation and thrashy, slayery ideas of how you shape a riff to just barrel ahead. Yeah. Um, uh, but in places, they do use something closer to big block chord riffing, um, often in sort of climactic moments. Uh, so here, this is from, you said this sounds a lot like the back end of Non Duke or Duco, and I think you're right. That's their mm -hmm. darkest record. Spite Extreme Wing says it's their sort of... Uh, what's the phrase they used? It's it's their least solar, and it has a lot of the sort of... Uh, um, the grit and filth of, like, old-school black metal. They describe mm -hmm. it as. Um, uh, but you'll hear both... I think this will be good for people because you'll hear both the parallel. This is their version of big block chord riffing. They create a more sort of stable, steady kind of form... But you'll also hear just how fucking fast it feels. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so uh, let's let's just start the sample. This is from um, the beginning of La Torre del Silencio. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, so uh, you you could you could hear the similarity there, right? Absolutely, and I can also hear it in some of the some of the subtler stuff, like the uh, the drum performance of each uh, mm-hmm. is is hitting similar notes of you know really laying hard on the accent on the cymbals and stuff like that, you know, trying mm-hmm. to add kind of a, a multi dimensional pulse even when it's just like a fast thrash beat. Oh, for sure, yeah. Oriflam is very, especially, yeah, yeah. Like, Spite Extreme has all this pulse things going on within the thrash, and Oriflam really relies on pulse. Like, that last sample you had had some, uh, in that first build, it had wonderful pulse stuff. Um, like, it seemed like the cording was patterned on that big flowing riff from before, and it was kind of preserved in it. It was really cool. But, so here... Right for listeners, you could hear that these are big chords. Da 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 da. Right, but you can yeah. also hear how fast it feels and how flowing it is. Right, like uh, you get the pickup at the end of each thing, which drops you into the next. Um, and the funny thing is, then it picks up more when they go to the major key kind of fanfare riff. And I just want to point out that where most bands would use that as the climax, here it's the tension builder. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Oriflam, you can hear using somewhat similar techniques, but they use it for this more kind of stately motion. Spite Extreme Wing is always like, in terms of human motion, Spite Extreme Wing is always just like charging at someone or mm-hmm. something or, you know, running around. Or driving a car really fast, you know. Um, doing something uh, cool. Yeah. Doing something cool, yeah. Flying a fucking plane, yeah. Uh, um, uh, you know, things like that. Um, so you can, you can hear that. So here's a comparative thing. I tried to pick the thing that captures the fast part that captures the slowness and the somber quality of this music um, in, as the, like, the best. Uh and, you know, so basically it's like, yes, but Extreme Wing, riff, melody. This music has some great melodies, some great riffs, but it's really oriented towards these dense, powerful textures and towards chords that, while very, in some ways very consonant and noble, have a ton of built-in tension, right? They're just, mm-hmm. it's one of those places where you want to use, just say, yeah, it sounds dark, man. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's take these, yeah, so here are some big block chords sounding sick and very scary. Uh, this is from the beginning of <laughs> Un Mal en Chien.
great. I think I just kept listening to that for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to get lost in this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. You kind of chose, because I think that this this song in particular is kind of the... Uh, kind of the odd man out not in a bad way but i think that it's pretty different in some of the harmonic ideas from what you hear on the rest of the album it's very good but this is the this is kind of the most nordic sounding song on the record i think yeah especially in that second riff um the first riff too though this is all like i I, what i was trying to get with this track is i think this track although it might be the exception it distills a tendency that runs throughout and makes it very different from some of this other kind of glorious solar stuff Um, oh definitely yeah and 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 just the rhythmic quality right so you can hear how that first riff is so powerful but it's just chords until you get this kind of forceful turnaround at the end which is still just kind of chord based but it's um i don't mean just in a bad way we both fucking love chords Um, yeah but like there are these big um they're just sort of sitting on these harmonic structures right um and there is uh a they would have a very different quality for a band going for a brighter sound or for something Mm -hmm. closer to the stuff that's commercially popular now the sort of uh boiled watered down satanic war master sargeist stuff or well knockoffs one of the of reasons the French, knockoffs yep. of the chivalric french bands shit like that well specific to that first riff one of the reasons that makes it so good is there is like there is like a micro art within modern black metal guitar technique which is mm-hmm. when you're doing the big block chord and you feather out to the open yeah, strings yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. exactly how you do it like how you're working them in and like mm-hmm. it's uh and it's kind of like improvisational in a way you can't have it like written out but there needs to be a, a physical gesture that's the same every time. Yes, you know? the physicality on this record is great. Um, and yeah, I, I hear that for sure. Um, lots of cool resonating overtones. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get this this cool sort of... At, you get this sort of darker, more Norse-sounding phrase, right? Yeah, dum, dum. You know, sort of the, some of the only kind of sharp half-step descents on the record. And you think, oh, okay, this is just some kind of like... I don't know what's the word, a coda or something, just some sort of like riff closing phrase, mm-hmm. you know? You think they're just going to hang out on that for a minute and then go back in the main riff. Instead, you get the dropout and where another band would be like, here's the hook riff. Here, we're going to give you what you really want. We're going to give you like some some poppy shit or whatever. Um, they just keep playing that riff and it starts to <laughs> really sound like a Burzum riff. And the only oh, thing yeah. they do to draw it out more for the blast section is just... Um, to draw it out more for this part is they add like a little kink in the end of it to turn it around. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so super just driving, uh, you know, um, driving, this, scornful. This is the most like aggressive riff on the record. This is just really angry. Yeah. You had a good comparison for it. Oh, uh, just that it sounds like, you know, stuff off Hivisla Sat Taras sped up, you know, really mm-hmm. fast. I mean, mm-hmm. people think of Hivisla Sat Taras as like, where Burzum becomes like much more accessible, which is like kind of true. I don't but it's think like, that's true. You don't think so? I mean, I think hipsters like Hivisla Set by now. Yeah, because it probably sounds it's it's less power chord based than the earlier stuff, but it's like really dissonant and very fast and angry. Yeah, there's it's very like gnarly goblin music still. Yeah, it's it's not very catchy. Not yeah, no, yeah. I mean, like I, they're kind I, of hooks on the early Burzum. Yeah, there's, like, bigger 
single riffs on like yeah, that's yeah, on yeah. that gang power or something. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but then, well, I thought it was funny because you wrote in the notes the the like the first riff. You said that you'll be the guy to make an improbable comparison to BBH, and I was like, no way, man. That first one is like a Brandicald riff all the way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it really is. Uh, it's like it's like a Brandicald riff individually. Maybe I can hear that, but just also what they start doing over the Burzum riff at the end, layering on more overtones, which has to mm-hmm. do with that high string work you were talking about, I think, although maybe another guitar part. Um, they start layering on these really cool extra tones at the end. That's also very Blazebird Hall. I would say that in aggregate, even though this music is sort of built with this very kind of bright Southern European material, uh, and although it has this greater immediacy and kind of uh, much more of a structural architectonic quality to it, right? It's less airy Mm -hmm. and fluctuating. Really does feel like Canadian Blazeberth Hall in a lot of ways. Yeah, Mm. no, I I definitely agree. There's a... I don't know, man, there's something about this. It's just just nature, more nature-y than I expected. I can see that. I can see that. You see, I think of this as... I I don't know. This is... um, this is a record that exists in a very cool intersection of a lot mm-hmm. of different things, which is one of the things that makes it very well-rounded and very interesting to listen to repeatedly. Like, I think this is a record I'm going to dump in, you know, 20 listens to and just like pick apart little guitar technique things. I think this is definitely music that had to be made by jamming it out as a whole band. There's just that so sense. many like yeah. s- subtle idiosyncrasies that you can't really write out, like little things happening on the guitar and drums that are clearly just from playing and iterating on these songs over and over. It's, it's got mm-hmm. a great full band energy, despite how kind of austere that's, it appears that's to be. Tr- that's true. This is music that doesn't necessarily sound like live band music, but is. That's good. Yes. Um, But to wrap things up, uh, we're going to go to the back half of the record for a song called Sacrifices with an exclamation point. Uh, We need more of that in Black Metal. Bring back, like, throwing in exclamation points in song titles. Um, And this is very cool. So this is a a three-act song, which is something that's actually going to be popping up over and over on this episode is the sort of act-based songwriting. Um, And the sample that I chose is going to cover the uh the transition from the first act to the second and the way they execute is very interesting i mean it's done with kind of a conventional black metal drop but it's surprisingly transformative what they switch to is not just more of the same but bigger but something substantially different harmonically so uh let's give it a shot
So that ended up being kind of a long sample, but I'm just impressed with how many sort of harmonic variations they managed to pack on top of this like relatively straightforward power chord riff. Like, and that's another thing that's very much like Spider Extreme Wing, the, the control they have over different voicings of the same general melodic idea, which is one of the really strong that, points on this record. That's true. Voicing is huge for SUW because they almost never, they don't really use, or if they use them, they use them very sparingly. They don't really use those chords. Like mm -hmm. the sliding, the sort of sliding budget epic chords that you get from Senor Valand or Sargeist or whatever. They use things that are sort of like that sometimes, but a lot of what they do is just sort of like dense, rich variations on power chords and shit. Yeah, they're... Um... And you get that here, too, for sure. Like, they're not building in any fancy... They're not doing that sliding chord thing. Yeah, they, these riffs sound more like Senor Volant riffs, for sure. But, like, they're yeah, not Yeah, on this song really, in particular. Yeah, but they're not really using those tricks, and they are... Um, and, on the other hand, they're not doing things like that other good... You know, like a, a band like Druidk or something, right? Throws all these crazy notes in the chords. None of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think what's cool is that a lot of these songs... I mean, these are pretty long songs. These are all about 8 to 10 minutes long. And if you really break it down and you kind of interpret it conservatively, there's only like three or four riffs on every one. But there's half a dozen variations to every single one of those. And mm -hmm. a lot of the time, it'll be three variations in a row over the same basic chord structure, but you don't really notice it while it's happening because their grasp of like the harmonic language and their voicings are so rich. It feels like something completely new every time. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that is really good. This is a little one gash, and you're listening to Terminus. So yeah, no, like when... Uh, at the beginning of COVID, uh, you know, WWE had to continue. So they were cutting promos um, and, you know, doing their, you know, matches just in, like, empty rings and empty stadiums and stuff. Whoa, yeah. So so I, I remember there was this video that got kind of viral for a little bit where it was, like, uh, John Cena cutting a promo for this other guy. I forget his name, but he's, like, a, a voodoo guy from the swamps of Louisiana. <laughs> like, modern witchcraft very, shit. Very Mortal Kombat. Very Mortal Kombat. Yeah, it's fucking sick. And so it's this incredibly dramatic promo, but it's, as opposed to all the others, you used to hearing crowd noise. Now it's dead silent. So, you know, everybody, you know, shared it as being like, oh, this is like really surreal and funny. But I was like, oh, no, this reveals it as very traditional theater in a way. Oh, it's like, yeah, yeah. Pro wrestling is like Greek tragedy or something. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you just, it totally you just see him sense. out there acting and it's purely purely kind of symbolic is is there any sound for it or is the whole thing silent like can we no, hear I mean, john cena and this other yeah dude? no no he's 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 speaking yeah it, but it's like it's purely like in it's like an oratory on a stage in this, yeah. this vast empty space it's so sick dude that's that's pretty cool that yeah <laughs> yes i agree all right well should we, oh, we uh, going to talk about heavy metal do we have to do that? Yeah, I suppose we should probably uh, tell the people how we got on this tangent. So, uh, <laughs> okay. well, we got on it because with, uh, we're back with Auspicious Atavism by Anahata. Uh, we were just talking about these guys' uh, majestic promo photos, which are uh, 
the two main dudes in the band wearing uh, chainmail coifs and uh, aviators uh, with no <laughs> shirt under it. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned to uh, the Black Widow guy that that is literally just the look of the legendary Scott Steiner from the WWF. There's no way. You looked up the pictures. There's no way that it's not pattern off that, no, right? No, that's literally Scott Steiner, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So, so uh, who the heck are these dudes? Well, um... One is named Yoan with an I, pretty cool, and the other is named Kyle. And Yoan, we know from the Terminus Code Prosperity Sphere, as the uh, guy behind Soldier Tower. The uh, utterly demented Grail Quest sort of uh, neo-folk punk black project that... uh, either has done a release or is going to do a release on Old Mill. Definitely Old Mill I think I think Old Mill released the demo. Yeah, Yeah, he was on a comp, comp. but then Old Mill also re-released the demo, and I think they're going to do more stuff going forward. I think that, I think Soldier Tower is secretly my favorite thing on Old Mill. It's so fucking cool, dude. Soldier Tower is sick, right? So, um, Soldier Tower has the unique virtue of being, sort of, having unhinged passion. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, the other guy is a guy named Kyle, who I saw what he was in and it rang a bell. Uh, this guy was in a project called Isobrute back in the day that I just, like, it was just a name. I could never remember the name, but it sort of stuck in the back of my head as a cool thing. It mm-hmm. was kind of like, I think he was coming out of that um, uh, Victoria, B.C. kind of, um, or, or no, sorry, uh, no, sorry, never mind. He was in Nova Scotia, my bad fuck um but then into bc and vancouver yeah yeah but vancouver which is different from victoria which is a lesson i learned from altered dead um but uh (laughs) but um but anyway he he had this thing that was kind of like it was kind of like crusty heathen war metal it was un it was unusual it's like stench core and pagan black metal aesthetics or something like that and i I haven't even so it's your dream band Exactly. I have Graveland really plus deviated instinct is exactly. the ultimate exactly. black metal <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, I've sort of made tried to make music like that, as you know. Um, but yeah. um, he, uh, it was. I I haven't even gone back and listened to it. I just bookmarked it in my head as something I needed to check out and then forgot about. But anyway, this guy was in a pretty sick band called Isabrute, and I think a more a more sort of like successful band called. Harrow, I think, back in the day, uh, or more like just more full band thing. That was a that was a one man project. Harrow's a long running thing. Okay, and it's Harrow that was from Victoria, um, mm-hmm. but so they've both got some background in the uh, Canadian black metal scene. This is uh, thoroughly informed by the spirit of black metal, especially this modern kind of solar black metal with the chivalric feel, which we were just discussing with our uh, review of the Oriflam. Uh, and yet, it is um, basically power metal, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it kind of splits the difference between. Well, I mean, it's always been a pretty narrow difference, right? The difference between traditional heavy metal and power metal. I would say that this kind of fits right into the niche of we've talked about it on the show a couple times, like USPM, like the the kind of burlier. Yeah more mid-paced cousin of power metal, you know, mm-hmm. as we understand it, at least. Yeah. Certainly Manowar a big influence here. 
Um, uh, and Jag Panzer, which uh, I guess you've uh, you've kind of developed a passion for recently, haven't you? Oh yeah, dude, you got me into Jag Panzer. Like you, you've been telling you said you've been telling me about them for years, but you really brought them up uh, when we were reviewing the Panikita last year. You played a sick Jag Panzer riff. And, yeah, uh, yeah. For whatever reason, I went back to it recently, and uh, you know, uh, to ample it's so destruction. Good. Is that it? It's <laughs> fucking sick like yeah that's like a, a the first record is ample destruction yeah but yeah so some relationship to all that although i think the closest relationship probably to very new contemporary sort of revivalist power metal uh which we'll get into um but also all informed by the black metal background so this is kind of at least moving towards the thing that i was talking about cromlock with in that interview which is this idea of extreme heavy metal heavy metal as extreme metal Right, Cromlet mm-hmm. comes out of the epic doom scene. They share members with Into Oblivion, and they kind of make so they're kind of making this solstice style epic doom, but sped up a lot more of the kind of man of war thing, and then a lot of black and death creeping into it around the edges. Right, then, mm-hmm. but we've heard a lot over the last year, really, of black and death metal bands getting back into just sort of like primary color trad heavy metal. Yeah. And and like so the Panakita record or even I think we could say Mongrel's Cross even though in some ways that's a black thrash or black metal record that it really is very heavy metal, right? It's very heavy metal. I mean same with uh I think we were saying that about the Hontranos that we covered just the other day. There's a lot exactly. of like trap very metal good point. on that. Very good point. So so yeah, in some sense maybe extreme heavy metal cuts across a lot of different genres at this point. But um this is definitely headed in that direction. And uh I you know, this is uh really pretty fucking cool, right? Oh, this is a wonderful album. Uh yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really love this. I think as far as kind of I don't even want to say revivalist because I that implies that the objective is to recreate something. This is just a good heavy metal record, full stop. Oh yeah, um, no, this itself is not revivalist, and they're trying to do some new stuff here. I think. In oh, terms definitely of the extreme metal kind of proximity. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting you talking about the extreme metal proximity because I think that's not not necessarily like a, a blind spot of yours but kind of a blind spot of a lot of people which is okay so you've got some younger guys i assume they're probably our age or younger doing a kind of traditional heavy metal project mm-hmm. i mean they weren't locked in a closet their whole lives i mean they know what death and black metal is you know they know mm-hmm. these things and as we can see these guys are coming from a black metal background and i think the secret is probably most of the guys doing this kind of music nowadays are coming from that background you know we talk about the difference between or we don't so much but there's a kind of a soft designation between kind of traditional metal and extreme metal and we think of extreme metal as modern or at least more modern than traditional metal but I superior think, to some might super, say. yeah it's superior to yeah I mean I, I think for the most part that's correct you know at least for people in our wheelhouse mm-hmm. but you know like like I said you know people who are playing this style this sort of traditional mm-hmm. style have not been locked in a closet the whole time they've been listening to all this stuff and I think at this point the the positions have kind of swapped extreme metal is the default place. Of metal music now, uh, you know some yeah, that's, sort. That's right. Yeah, some sort of black or death metal or something just 
very abrasive is the default position. So now, you know, going to something like this is sort of the the unusual take, whereas in the past it would be considered, oh, you're the weird guy for going into this. I mean, now you're the weird guy for coming out of it. Okay, okay so style. what's what's the blind spot? Are you just saying that I got it backwards? Instead of saying taking heavy metal towards extreme metal, it's more like these guys are in some sense coming from extreme metal and just making a heavy metal record? I, yeah, I wouldn't even say, I mean, blind spots probably, yeah, I mean, that's that's an overly harsh term, but I think that just the idea that a lot of people have that it's like, Oh, well, you know, these guys are doing heavy metal informed by advances in extreme metal over the past 20 years. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they? There's no reason not to. I think the blind spot that a lot of people have is thinking that it's this entirely linear process where no one would go back and apply these lessons to this originating style. Oh, you know? well, I, I don't think that. That's what I was suggesting. It's, um... But, yeah, this is, uh pretty i mean yeah so it's like uh but the extreme metal it should be said the i think uh, with the tracks i initially clicked on i got more of the extreme metal flourishes right mm -hmm. and this is in many respects musically closer to a down mu like much closer to a down the line power metal album than something like cromlock right or uh yes yeah, yeah i'd agree with that um and uh you know and it's it's tapping into certain kinds of classic heavy metal things like big verse like you know embrace a verse chorus big hooks memorable sort of memorable quote-unquote pop relative to extreme metal standards songwriting right mm -hmm. um things like that right sing-along choruses so i guess should we just uh show them yeah fuck it uh i've got a sample off the uh the the first track after the intro uh All this right. is called imperium and uh I only wrote down the note that I had to, which was, haha, big Jagpanzer riff go dun 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 dun, and that the right. chorus was sick. So, let's let's see it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's 
king. I am the hero. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so a couple interesting things. Uh, so one thing that I want to stress is that clearly these guys are very smart songwriters, very informed by advancements in modern black and death and extreme metal. But they do a lot of things that are extremely traditional songwriting techniques uh, of the like original kind of NWOBHM era. Um, like, for instance, one thing I want to draw attention to is the presence of a pre-chorus, which is something that's completely forgotten nowadays. That whoa section immediately before the chorus. And then they do a head fake at the end of the sample where they do the pre-chorus, you're expecting it again, but no, mm-hmm. it goes into a drop and then it switches acts. Oh, they so do that a couple times on this record. They actually do that on the next sample, too. Oh. Yeah, they like to do these kind of head fake things. Additionally, in the chorus itself... They get to the end of it, and then they do it again. You know? The chorus is a full two repetitions of this entire block of music, because, yes, this is unashamedly the centerpiece of the song. This is, you know, it's a song about finding different routes to this giant moment. And... You know, at a certain point, you get really into extreme metal, and you're like, oh, you know, verse, chorus, I'm trying to get away from it. But these guys prove that uh, there's a reason songs are made like that, because they can have an incredible power to them when executed correctly. Yeah, okay, also, that was... So, also, tidbit, um, the chorus is... uh, And this we'll get into. um, I can talk about it more at the end, but uh, this record is... uh, steeped in a very deep sense of, you know, sort of like Indo-European lore, right? As sort mm-hmm. of myth, epic, religion, uh, spanning over a long historical time frame. Time frame. Um, and this is, uh, <laughs> the chorus includes a word that nobody will know. Um, <laughs> I am the king, I am the hero light, my long life burns for the blood of demon kind. Well, what the fuck is that? Um, and <laughs> I didn't know when I saw it. What but hero I light? It up and I what? What was it? My, hero light? Lawn light? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's um, yes. Yeah, so it's it's basically the same thing as hero light, exactly. But it's the L O N L A I T H. I googled it and it came up on a Vassar website. Somebody's translation of the Tain Book of Helen from uh, Gaelic. So this is uh. It's the, this person translates it as champion light. I've also heard it as hero light or uh, god light or whatever. Um, this That's is, fucking sick, bro. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was looking for it in my translation, but uh, I'll just read it off the, the vaster thing. So the Tainbok of Helen is the ca- also called the Cattle Raid of Ulster. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and it is the tale of sort of the Irish Achilles, Cuhalla, uh, or Cohella, okay. sorry. Um, I think there, you, there would be different ways of pronouncing it, but people today say Cohella. Um and uh, the and he's uh, known as the Hound of Ulster, um, <laughs> and you know the tale involves his his training, his uh, you know mighty his his great struggles and his his death in a glorious fight. And it has this kind of if you think the Iliad is like ancient sounding, this is like sheer reptile brain, primordial mythic imagination. It's like. Um, <laughs> some of the shit in the Calorate of Ulster is like almost closer to Dragon Ball Z than anything you'd imagine from it's like a it's like Sviatogor type shit 
kind of, yes, exactly. Yeah, of like yeah. hyper primitive elemental. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or um, you know, like the Kalevala is like this. Um, mm-hmm. um, but um, there's lots of it left over in the Iliad. But in the Iliad, you get basically a similar moment. You see light gleam from Achilles's head right when he's about to uh, go. Uh, you know, right when he's he's going to be hit with Lissa, his wrath, right, heroic mm-hmm. wrath, and uh, go on a tear. Here, right, we get Cahalan. The long light stood out of his forehead so that it was as long and as thick as a warrior's whetstone, as high, as thick, as strong, as steady, as long as the sail tree of some huge prime ship was the straight spout of dark blood which arose right on high from the very ridge pole of his crown, so that a black fog of witchery was made thereof like to the smoke from a king's hostel, what time the king comes to be ministered to at nightfall of a winter's day. Bro, I've got the weirdest boner right now. Yeah, when now this contortion had been completed in Cohelan, then it was that the hero of valor sprang into his scythed war chariot with its iron sickles, its thin blades, its hooks, and its hard spikes, with its hero's foreprongs, with its opening fixtures, with its stinging nails that were fastened to the poles and thongs and bows and lines of the chariot. I am I'm fully turgid now. Fully, yes, throbbing. Um, and the funny thing is, that's basically what's being described. So they describe, like, the... Like, I've heard it described as things like, you know, the, the light shining around his head, but here the hero's light is really linked to uh, also this gout of blood out of his forehead. I can't yeah. tell entirely whether, thinking, I've heard them, maybe they're the same thing. Um, but like, you know, with something like the Iliad or something, you'll get as this, you know, blaze of heavenly light. This is, Helen becomes monstrous, like physically monstrous when he goes berserk. Um mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of cool shit. Highly recommended. Really, really underrated. Um, so that is a cool deep cut reference that I actually didn't notice till just now. And that'll tell you something about uh, the vibe they're going for here. Yeah, they're actually serious about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So on that note, let's go on. So, all right. Let's, oh, dude, let's fucking do it. Let's fucking do well, it, bro. <laughs> let's fucking do it. So uh, I'll keep spurging out, but we'll go to... Uh, Strength Through Steel. Uh, I'd say, on the whole, I'd say this is the best song on the record, at least to me. This is this is at least the big single. Yeah, this this is, is the one that everybody should be jamming. And I think everything, every element of their sound is firing here. So you get glorious melodies, these sort of soaring independent vocal lines that aren't just wedded to the root uh, or are welded to it in a cool way. And you get just ultimate this bit is so good at stupid smart the lyrics seem like could they often seem like fantasy the lyrics to the last one could sound like diablo the lyrics to this one could sound <laughs> like you know fucking uh any sort of fantasy thing or like dark souls or something um should this and I, i'm gonna make i'm gonna make a a, a challenging call right here mm-hmm. should this i mean we've normally associated this with certain kinds of black metal but should strength through steel be the jam of Sword Boy Summer, bro. It might be, yeah. It yeah. might this be the jam Sword of Sword Boy, Boy Summer. Oh, it's literally 100%. about a sword, but um, but basically, <laughs> like behind these lyrics that are sort of written in this sort of like big, bold, seemingly sort of like dumb in a good way, right? Lyrics like there's just this deep knowledge of uh, ancient lore. So you get like the Volsung Saga here. You'll get King Arthur more. Um, let's learn about how. 
let's learn about the son of the blacksmith or the adopted son of the blacksmith. Dude, oh, dude, the lyrics on this are so good. Yes. <laughs> let's go. So black metal guy, I've got a. Uh, I'm sure you're going to bring it up, but I I want to ask. I think a vital question. Um, mm-hmm. If you're going to make neo traditional heavy metal, why shouldn't it have blast beats and harsh vocals? No, I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, don't see like like you listen to that. You'll hear the harsh vocals and the blast beat, and it feels completely contiguous with everything else. It does not feel like a a dip into black metal, even though like uh, I mean, instru- instrumentally, I, I get guess what you mean. I get what you mean. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make it feel like a black heavy metal song. It's still that's a, kind. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean by the extreme heavy metal thing. It's just really it's heavy metal, but it's really extreme. I mean, you could say that in the 80s, something like Jag Panzer already was that. Yeah. Like, like Jag Panzer hits for me in the way that, like, uh, you know, not exactly the same way, obviously, but, like, Jag Panzer, like, you know, Iron Maiden to me is sort of fun, goofy music, right? Like, Jag Panzer hits more like Celtic Frost. Um, I gotcha. And, and this is, uh, while still having the things that are awesome about Maiden, right? Um Mm-hmm. And, like, this is, yeah, but I hear what you mean. Yes, this is fundamentally heavy metal, and you make it with the what you've got at hand. There's always a point to, like, a certain kind of meticulous revivalism. Mm-hmm. But, but 
Um, that's better done in black and death metal and hardcore. A lot of the traditional heavy metal stuff we have now that's very focused on retro is all pastiche. Mm-hmm. It's yes. very superficial. And it's all about, and we'll get into that in a sec. But um, so this, the, the idea that this band sees what they're doing is like, they're not trying to like throw back, right? They're not. Um, not at all. They're trying to make music that hits people today as heavy metal and they're using the weapons yes. that come to hand. No, that was that was the thing I was going to say. It's you know, I hate you know, it's it's sort of a, you know, natural part of the territory of discussing stuff like this, but when I say, you know, heavy metal revival or like neo heavy metal, I really shouldn't be saying that. This is a heavy metal record. It is as applicable in 85 as it is today. You know, I mean the the technology to create these songs may have changed, may have been informed by advancements from elsewhere in the greater metal scene, but I I can't listen to that blast beat and see it as anything other than real traditional heavy metal, you know? Yeah, so um, let's talk, start talking about that then. Yeah, and so this is a thing that the guys in Cromlock were sort of griping about. They sort of like sort of like ironic retro metal bands, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, <clears throat> so an interesting thing about this band is one reason it has the massive pop catchiness it does is the influence of Visigoth. Mm-hmm. I think if you had to pick one inf- one band that this really sounds like throughout, it would be Visigoth. A lot of our viewers, are pro- or listeners, are uh, and not much to look at. A lot of our listeners are... <laughs> Pro- may not even be familiar with it. Um, it's it's really popular. It's become like very mainstream um, metal blade records kind of shit. Um, but they were on the earlier wave of this kind of new wave of British heavy metal slash power metal revivalism. Sounds more power metally. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in a lot of ways, they're really good at what they do. Uh, it's extremely catchy. Uh, it's kind of heartfelt, um, really skillful songwriting in a lot of places. Um, uh, and the way this guy constructs his hooks in the choruses are like almost, I'm going to need you to, to cut for a sec so I can find an appropriate sample because I forgot. But like uh, sure. <laughs> very closely parallels some of the patterns that the Visigoth guy writes. Um, the difference being that uh, this guy's a better singer. <laughs> <laughs> the the Visigoth guy is sort of like he's got a powerful untrained kind of low baritone voice or something, right? This guy's just got pipes, Johan, yeah, in, uh, in Anahata, um, and he's got a great range of styles, and uh, you know, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get us a reference sample from Visigoth, and I'm gonna say uh, the Visigoth influence throughout for this is a strength for this band. Um, mm-hmm. but it's also a limitation, which I'll get into at the end. Uh, okay. the, and so we'll talk about this after the sample. Oh, 
Yeah, you could hear that, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. No, I think I think Visigoth have basically become the the biggest guys in this sort of thing right now. For sure, yeah, and you can hear why, right? Like that's ridiculously catchy um, mm-hmm. and uh, irresistible, right? If you don't like Visigoth, you if you if you can't at least appreciate Visigoth, you probably don't like metal, right? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, that that's a good way of, you know, there's this kind of, like, punk scene guy who, like, mostly only likes black metal, which is totally mm-hmm. fine. That's what I used to be. But phys- liking Visigoth will prove whether you like metal or not. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, also... But, I mean, it, it's also, I mean, for those who don't know Visigoth, the connection to things that maybe our listeners know more is uh, one of the main guys from Visigoth is also one of the dudes from Caladan Brood. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, I would argue that Caladan Brood, Summoning, all that stuff has a, a huge thread connecting it to trad metal. So yeah, sure. it's not that far yeah. off. Yeah, so, okay, so there's a thing that the Visigoth guy does, which is that he rounds off his choruses in this very, like, everything resolves in this kind of big whole step, uh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, um, like, you know, He's a dungeon master. He's a dungeon master. You know, um, every there are these big kind of uh, payoff hook turnarounds, um, and this guy uses those uh, in in Anahata. He uses that method. You could hear him doing that on Strength or Steel, and there it mm-hmm. sounds really good. Um, in part because it's a little more restrained, but the um. The thing with Visigoth, right, is if you listen to too much of it, your teeth will rot. Um, oh, yeah. It's extremely sugary music, and it relates to those kinds of uh, big, flourishing pop gestures. Um, and uh, so that's like the ex- like the, the risk of this kind of music is that you could accidentally spill, you know, well, Visigoth often accidentally spills there. And then the risk of being influenced by Visigoth is that you can accidentally go in that direction yourself. Mm-hmm. There are... Uh, not that many, there are few, if any, examples of that per se on this record, but it's a sort of an inbuilt riff, or sorry, inbuilt risk. Uh, yeah, no, I get that. And I'll well, come I... back to the, I'll come back to the Visigoth stuff and the sort of pastiche heavy metal thing at the end. Well, if I, if I can indulge in some like, um, really obnoxious kind of musician-y stuff, the reason it doesn't happen for, uh, Anahata is because they're doing actually a, a very traditional Iron Maiden technique at the end of the choruses, mm-hmm. which is to do a like half measure fill at the end or a full measure fill, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, it's usually, you know, an elongated drum fill and kind of a lead guitar fill that brings it back to the verse. And what that allows them to do is to create a, a bigger difference in key you know, to connect the verse and the chorus than would typically be available. You know, they, they're creating this this small bridge space which allows them to explore bigger gulfs between the melodic sensibilities of the two. It just gives them more space to work with than Visigoth. I think. I think I get what you mean. Like, this band does key changes, and when they do key changes, the key changes are big. And yeah. very, like... And it's like, yes, I, I hear what you mean. Okay. Um... Well, actually, yeah. I mean, kind of bridging off that uh, in my next mm-hmm. sample, um, I'll get to another technique they use a lot, which is something that's kind of forgotten. Um, 
uh, I just want to play something off Son of Fate, uh, off the back half of the record. So, uh, like I was talking about with the Oriflam record, most of these songs are two or three act pieces. And uh, the sample that I've got here is like the Oriflam sample I played, talking about the same thing, the transition between Act 1 and Act 2. And what happens here is very important because there is an actual tempo change. Not to be confused with a like a half-timing sort of geometric thing that a lot okay. of people do all the time. There's a full-fledged BPM change between these two sections here. Uh, which is, again, that's a very traditional kind of Iron Maiden or Judas Priest thing to do, but it's a very difficult thing to pull off and make it feel natural, so a lot of people just skip it. And these guys didn't, and when you hear how it lurches into this slower tempo after this first part, announcing the transition to Act 2 of this song, I, I think you'll like it a lot. sample um, where the solo kicks in over that very kind of delicate arpeggiated riff mm -hmm. that is one of the most black metal moments on the record to me because that is ex that's extremely similar to something that uh, a band like Plaga would do you've got this very delicate kind of folky kind of trad metal riff and then this explosive very over the top solo emerges over it um and the, the dichotomy between the relative delicacy and subtlety of the riff and just the, the florid, over-the-top quality of the solo makes for a really interesting mixture. And, uh, no, I, I, I really love that part. And, obviously, we got to talk about the tempo change because that's just not a thing you hear anymore. Yeah, that was accomplished um, very smoothly. 
And yeah. once they got into that lower tempo, they were able to go through a lot of um, pretty rapid and subtle changes leading up to that big chorus at the end. For, for a record that's often in kind of a big strutting opens power chord mode or sort of like a pedal point chug mode, it's mm-hmm. pretty interesting to hear a graceful passage like that. And um, certainly it, I didn't remember that off the first listen because obviously I was focusing on the... Uh, the big sword riffs. Um, but, um, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, this part's really cool. I'm glad you picked it. No, it's 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 very smart, very subtle songwriting. And, uh, I mean, that's one of the big strengths of this band. And it also, I noticed, uh, you know, going through this again, oh, they were using the, uh, the half measure or full measure fill to adjoin two verse riffs there. I think that's, like, one of their standard techniques is, like... Uh, we want to move in a very different direction with the next riff. The typical, for instance, black metal technique would be drop out, solo guitar, bring it back in with a bunch of energy. Mm-hmm. Here, it's just like, let's just extend it and find a way to manipulate this fill into melodically joining these passages. Which is something that extreme metal people could take ideas from. Because at this point, I'm... I, I, it's a classic technique, but dropping out with a solo channel guitar, I'm almost tired of it at this point. <laughs> oh, let's uh, mm-hmm. let's find and that's a more one of your elaborate things. Oh yeah, I I do it on like every song I've ever written, <laughs> but <laughs> but even I know it's like, oh, that's kind of the easy choice. Let's let's make it a little more musical. Let's make it a little more put together. And I like how they consistently use the harder option that requires a little more thought to transition between disparate ideas. Yeah. So, all right. Coming to the last, uh, last sample. Um, this one is a uh, hierophany. This is late in the record. So hierophany is like revelation of the sacred, right? You could think of it as uh, appearance of the God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so this is, there's a, a a heroic narrative being woven throughout this record. So we're getting to the, you know, it's, it's hierophany. And then finally we're at uh, death of a hero at the end. And mm-hmm. that's more of a kind of dungeon synthy track. Um, so, um, so like this is another highlight to me. Um, this is probably the most black metal track on the record. Um, if you were to evaluate it as black metal, right, you would say the riffing is a little thin um however this is black metal being used in heavy metal and what it's doing is very effectively supporting just i can't even count how many sick vocal hooks are in this um (laughs) and just very forceful so uh this is a really cool track and at the end i'll talk about the uh unexpected influence here Crack up the whip, 
So what this guy is doing here uh, is difficult and cool, which is he's flowing freely from cleans into harsh vocals. And the harsh vocals are a kind of kind of deep roar, right? Mm. Uh, a vocal that you would associate more with, um, you know, like a Venom type stuff or the 80 stench core bands like Amoebix or anything like that. But really, mm. I think it's 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 Nemtianga, who I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. It's uh, Alan Avril from Primordial. Um, oh, okay. And this, this guy has a bit of a deeper voice, but he's doing the same technique where you move from a kind of rough clean into a full-on harsh vocal. Um, mm. And, you know, the harsh vocal has some melodic inflection to it, and it's being bellowed rather than, like, black metal screamed. Um, there is a, it is a harsh vocal that is at an actual note. There is a pitch it, Yes, it. yes, yeah, there's a rich sound quality to it. Um, and the whole song kind of works like that. The slide into the blasting is a very late primordial thing. The underground has almost totally forgotten about primordial, which is a thing that I'd <laughs> like to talk more about at some point. Um, and it actually took me a long time to come back to them, only really recently. Um, in part, that's because their later stuff, right, it exists in this kind of metal blade realm of big festival metal. The writing gets a lot more heavy metal. Um, it's A lot of it's still good. Uh, but, like, this band is, like, uh, drawing on the heavy metal primordial in a very intentional way. Uh, and uh, I think that's cool. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, certainly Avril's lyrics and the whole mood of that band blend into this very nicely. Um, well, yeah, because it's just Irish folk amoebics. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, what, what is what is primordial? Primordial? Yeah. A little bit. I, I would bet Alan liked Amoebics for sure. Um, I've been going back and listening to the old stuff. It's actually, it, it's remarkable. It's like, I thought they were influenced by Drudg. I think they influenced Drudg. Um, Dude, I, I will tell you right now, I don't have evidence, but I'm going to call him out right here. Alan Avril probably has an Arise Tramp stamp. <laughs> yeah i hear what you mean certainly those are closely connected so so yeah this band seems to have knowledge of both of those things which is cool you know even the little subtext of crust in the vocals is sick um and very at variance from the general sort of squeaky clean lawful good orientation of this music right um mm -hmm. uh but um yeah so here's do you have a summary thought if not i do I mean, one of my hot takes is just that mm -hmm. I think this is going to become a huge style over the next five years. And if I want to do a hotter, more specific take that people can really place bets on, I bet a lot of, like, neo-Instagram raw black metal kids are going to suddenly find a passion for, like, traditional heavy metal. God save us specifically because a lot of it's going to be made with ingredients from black metal, you know, which are in a lot of cases, just heavy metal ingredients, but two steps removed. You know? But I, I think this is going to become a big thing. I mean, these guys right here should be on a really big label right now. Yeah, they won't because it's too crazy. Um, and because of the sheer intensity of the mythological warrior lyrics, <laughs> and so, let us get into that. So, interesting thing about Visigoth being the influence here, right? 
Visigoth themselves are like the ultimate like postmodern heavy metal band. Um, they're like the music feels like bright shiny plastic, right? Or like candy. It's it, Visigoth is like they're a great band, but there's something ephemeral and uh, now about it, despite the retroness, which is the interesting thing. Um, it has this quality of it all refers back to this old USPM, but that stuff was all like rough. Like listen mm. to the just like raw virility and aggression and Jag Panzer, or just like the chunky like technically uh, differently abled power chords in Manila Road or whatever, right? <laughs> like uh, those bands had a kind of totally different energy, a much punkier energy, right? Um, everything in Visigoth is like this mid-heavy, sterile sound quality. Um, very satisfying to hear at first. It'll just get old, right? Um, mm -hmm. it's, uh, uh, it's, it's this sort of, it, it's music that sound references old school, but in fact has a lot to do with just like mellow death and like nineties and early two thousands power metal that you'd know better than me. Right. Um, mm -hmm. even though it's all eighties referential and lyrically what they have is like, everything is at like a couple steps removed from the source. So instead of being a metal band that's influenced by fantasy, Visigoth's lyrics are sort of like about nerd culture and about mm -hmm. metal culture. Like that song I sampled before, uh, Dungeon Master, was literally about D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so like it's um, where you could contrast that meaningfully with this band where they are going directly to the source, right? more than almost anything, right? They're going, uh, you know, they are going directly to primary epic and to, like, myth and ancient religious ritual. And that's all filtered through tropes of fantasy, which is in turn filtered through video game stuff, right? But mm -hmm. all in a way that sort of honestly expresses, like, these new forms that have accumulated after the old forms, right? And that allows people from our time a passage back to the old stuff, Right. Um, yeah. So Anahata has this really sophisticated and sincere uh, negotiation with these things. Um, Visigoth has this kind of uh, cheeky, one-step-removed, ironic posture that the dudes in... I assume Kromlech was talking about bands like that at the end of the interview, or in many places during the interview, when they talk about revivalist heavy metal bands. Um, it's not to say that Visigoth aren't sincere, like, they're very sincere, right? They absolutely love this shit, and I'm sure they are they sound like great dudes, right? But, like, there's a kind of... It's ironic not in the sense of insincerity or snark, but in the sense of very self-conscious, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so, like, the question then, I mean, the tough question that I would pose for this band is, okay, the Visigoth influence makes sense. It's a strength of the band. Um, it's a thing that any modern band doing this has to reckon with. Right. But given that you want to create this music of much greater depth, right? Why produce the record like Visigoth? Right? Why give it that like highly, like all too mo modern, all too modern, mid heavy, glossy sound? Um, why draw so heavily on the sound of like Visigoth? And I assume also stuff like Sommerlands and Eternal Champion. I like the Sommerlands record a lot. Um, but, uh, but, you know, why draw so heavily on that? Like, it makes sense that they're responding to these and they probably just really like those bands. So, you know, uh, but like, I feel like this band can and should draw on a deeper well 
And like, I would love this to sound more like Jagpanzer or like another, more like Primordial. Uh, and another thing I've been obsessed with recently, like really obsessed with is Ares Kingdom, which is, although it's sort of black thrash war metal, is like very heavy metal. And I feel like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think um, I want the music to have the, uh, I want the music to, I what I want is immaterial. I would like, I think the music would be stronger if it conveyed not just the sheen and gloss of this modern sound, but let's say the sheer insanity of a column of blood bursting out of Cohelan's forehead.
All right, we're back after some uh, traditional heavy metal. So we're going to go to the exact opposite of the spectrum, which is great because me and my wife have been playing uh, Resident Evil 8 now that it's out. We were both very excited for it, and we are unsurprisingly absolutely fixated on the very tall mommy vampire. And <laughs> uh, now we have the soundtrack for her, <laughs> which is uh, Midnight Betrothed with Dreamless out on Atrocity Altar and Northern Silence. Um, so this is... Okay, so the description of this, as people will expect, is lo-fi, kind of dungeon synthy symphonic black metal, but what it really sounds like is anime soundtrack and video game soundtrack music with a sort of raw black aesthetic tied to it. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, completely. I mean, basically with a raw black aesthetic sort of awkwardly grafted onto it, right? It's just anime soundtrack. <laughs> it, it really it's, is yeah. totally anime soundtrack music, yeah. but uh, I kind of like that, though. You know, there's... there's a, I understand your misgivings about this and i think they're fair but i think a, i i think they're fair but i also think a, a slight adjustment of expectations or perspective helps a lot when it comes to music like this i do that too much on this show already i, I you know for this i'm putting my foot down um you're putting you know, your like, foot down on i'm this. putting my fucking foot down you know like uh we, we can get it i mean for what it is it's quite good i would say like the anime it's like nice anime soundtrack music you know yeah and i think that i mean i i think we've arrived at a point where in black metal especially raw black metal anime soundtrack music is kind of like part of that at least like modern raw tape black stuff you know I think the inf well certainly we got a lot of that in the uh, Kekta Rock, uh, but the uh, oh yeah, I think the influence of it is one thing that makes sense. You know, yeah, black metal people like anime, they like video games. What you gonna do, right? And especially of this generation, right? Um, that that's totally fine. But um, I mean, you you know, to me, it's uh this would be better without the black metal parts. Um, hmm. It's, uh, I find the rawness highly artificial. You can tell it's digital and it's been sort of layered on. Yeah. The vocals are half-hearted, clearly not the center of it. And, you know, sure, there's some blast beats and there's some guitars playing their root notes in the background. Um, I just don't understand why you would want to associate it with black metal or, or even dungeon synth. Um, and to me, it feels... Uh, this is not the best of anime or video game soundtrack, both of which are capable of this kind of unexpected profundity. Um, I get that. And I, I saw that very in light. your notes. I get that. Yeah. No, I saw that in your notes and, you know, you would kind of ask these rhetorical questions of why do music like this? Why have the artificial rawness? Why have the harsh vocals? Why have this or that, these markers of extreme metal? And uh, that's a fair question to ask. And I would say, I feel like the answer, at least for me, um, and you can take this or not, uh, is 
it, it might be simpler than you expect. For me, at least, it's like, I like the timbre of those sounds. I like how raw black metal sounds. I like how kind of like goblin-y, harsh vocals sound. So a lot of these are very conventional pop melodies. I mean, the majority of them are, although I think there is a, a real harmonic depth to this music. And it's like, why do I listen to this instead of pop music? Just because those tones really appeal to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the part that really appeals to you are the Vanessa Carlton melodies. <laughs> so, um, like, that's, but that's I, what the selling point here is. And uh, to me, I feel like maybe there's a ver It doesn't sound actually raw. Like, it sounds like raw tape black, which is not raw black metal, right? It doesn't sound yeah. like a dude throwing down in a shed and recording live by himself. It doesn't sound like uh, four dudes in a shed recording live by themselves. Um, there's nothing organic about this. I get that, but I, I think that, like, well, why and do there's I nothing difficult. To... There's nothing difficult about the rawness either. That was, you know, this is all, this is descended from Vothana core, right? The whole mm, idea okay. of Vothana is that it has this, why they're so wildly popular is that it has these elaborate sugary melodies, highly sentimental melodies that are, you know, kind of like, I mean, I think in the context, it's supposed to sound like early 20th century military music and symphonic stuff a little bit. But like, what it actually sounds like is anime and video game soundtrack. For, for, for <laughs> sure, for sure. And the reason Vothana is cool, you know, I, I think maybe a little overrated, but cool, is the dissonance between that and the, uh, you know, the extraor extraordinarily raw sound, the dissonant grinding riffs, and shall we say the uh, extraordinarily aggressive uh, lyrical themes. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and I think a lot of people are really into Vathana because it has this kind of push and pull between those things. Uh, and yeah. this, you can hear how through, there's an evolutionary process where we come around to the end and all we've got are the big sugary pop melodies. And I, I think we're, I think we're here now. And I think like, you know, this is for a lot of people, this is just, this is just a pretext to listen to pop music, which is yeah. just no, listen I, to pop music. I, I think that I agree with that in a large part. I mean, obviously, to make it clear to people, it's like, I like Vothana a lot more than you. I like mm -hmm. a lot of this. I mean, people already know. I like a lot of this sugary kind of blackened pop, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term, <laughs> more than you. Um, that's really what it is. It's, it's blackened pop music. Um, um, but I think you can't discount, like, the timbre so easily it's like the reason i choose to listen to this rather than vanessa carlton is because i have a legitimate like deep-seated affection to highly distorted thin guitars and grumbling goblin vocals which is something that isn't provided i have a deep-seated affection for vanessa carlton <laughs> making my way downtown that's her she, right? she was cute back in the day yeah um but uh <laughs> all right so fuck it let's play some anime soundtrack raw tape black all right gonna go right to the first track off this a snow crested heart and uh as is 
Is this like a tradition for uh, for Terminus at this point to create a short story around the sample? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, story. we'll play this, and I'll I'll do my uh, my goofy story about it. So a snow crested heart from the top. Let's do it. So, one thing we can't say, no matter how divergent our opinions of this music are, this guy can really play piano. Yes, that is one of the distinguishing features here. I assume it's a synth piano he's playing, but he can play piano as piano. Yeah, for sure. Um, And that certainly immediately sets it. You can't say this is low on musicality, right? In terms of sheer, yeah. a lot of stuff in this general niche is just complete non, a complete non-entity to me, right? This is like, this guy is not like taking other people's samples and stitching them together to make dungeons. He's mm-hmm. playing music, and he's got a very good ear for this sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that's a uh, an important distinguishing feature of this music is that this is a guy who really has like deep compositional chops. I mean, you may not like the way he's directing it, but clearly this guy—he's using his powers yeah. for evil, or for—he's using his powers um, for evil. <laughs> but uh, so, gotta do the terminus story for uh, a snow crested heart. <clears throat> To which I wrote, you can see it immediately. 
the high school protagonist walking home through the rain as the credits roll. His best friend from elementary school, who is, of course, his love interest, waves to him, but he doesn't walk with her. This is his time to be alone. He's not sure if he wants to apply to a Tokyo university, but the question in his mind is of inherent value. He is questioning his role in the world around him. Should he become a salary man or pursue his passion as a professional Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master? Only time <laughs> will tell. <laughs> well, shit, bro. Now I just want to wrap up the show and get back to finish uh, rewatching Evangelion. <laughs> so. No, it's like it's it's definitely. I I mean, we talked about like uh, I mean, you, you brought up Kekta Rock before, which I think is relevant because I mentioned on the uh, that last song that we totally diverged on that I really liked and you hated. Um, that I was like, oh, this guy's listening to emo hip hop, a hundred yeah, emo hip hop, the worst genre ever conceived in the world. <laughs> How could you? The- <laughs> the best genre ever conceived the ultimate realization of all music excuse me <laughs> no but uh i think this guy's probably listening to like emo hip-hop too you know this is this is not black metal in any way this is a different kind of music using a black metal aesthetic as a uh, a sort of starting point to create an idea um, this has, I think more... a starting point to create an album cover, man, <laughs> like we'll go to, we'll go to my sample, uh, because okay. there are parts on this that are, I mean, to me, genuinely enjoyable. Uh, like, okay. uh, so we'll go to, uh, like there's, he's really good at what he does and there's a kind of, there can be a winning quality to it. Right. It's just like, look, okay. you like anime soundtracks. You have a feel. Okay. This is good. Um, so we'll go to, uh, Bygone Fortunes.
a nice uh, kind of sentimental pirate melody. Right? <laughs> uh, and and then you get this sort of uh, oh you switch you switch these uh, samples around. This makes sense. Okay, I was looking for the sentimental yeah, you... pirate melody is on stop visiting my grave. Um, but like uh, th- there's another one that has that. But then you get this really uh, this piano build, which to me is like maybe the biggest melody on the record. Um, it's, oh, I didn't uh, even it, realize I had like swapped it because we had like adjoining samples. But no, it makes sense, also. bro. It makes sense that you did. This is just okay. Inside view and determinist method. We have a we have a notes and we move it around. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, so like in some sense, I would say this is almost the most black metal part. Which is that you get this, uh, these rising sort of piano arpeggios that uh, turn very minor key. And then you get some sort of interesting, within the context of this, kind of jarring chord changes um, that are not quite chromatic, but really high tension and maybe involve a key change. I don't know. I'm too ignorant to explain. But um, mm-hmm. you get some, some maneuvers that are actually drawn from classical music and that could evoke stuff like emperor or whatever right um yeah no i i, I think i i'll take the uh i'll take the jump and say this guy is probably classically trained i think so yeah yeah um you know like i wish he was going directly to the source more than he is on here right because at this point the uh to tie into a thing i was saying about Visigoth on the last one like i wish I wish he was actually drawing on his knowledge of classical music more than wiring it through all this pop culture. But like, mm-hmm. um, but like, you know, th- still with this moment, there's kind of a, um, there's a hybrid quality to this passage because at the end, he has this big flourishing, satisfying resolution turnaround on it. Kind of like those Visigoth hooks I was talking about mm-hmm. where like we're in this sphere of soundtracky music. It's actually kind of what you want. Even even for me, somebody complaining about things like that is what I want, right, in this context, right? So he he does this sort of flourishing gothic rise and then kind of uh, um, turns it around in this kind of, uh, you know, uh, s- sort of pretty, pretty way, in a pretty way. Um, no, and, I, uh, I get it. Like, yeah. I'm starting to like piece it together now, <laughs> and it's a very goofy way to say it. But the fundamental flaw of this music for you is that it doesn't have bayonetta gameplay in the background, you know, <laughs> for you to focus on while you listen to the soundtrack. You know, which is like, it sounds like goofy and dismissive, but no, I I get it. You you want it to be applied to something else. You don't feel like it really stands on its own. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's kind. I think that's kind of true. Yeah, I mean, at the worst, I mean, after that big turnaround, at worst, it does remind me of loading screen music, um, which is fascinating to me because, like, I start. I, I have an adjoining sample. I start on that melody, mm-hmm. that that kind of like staggered mm-hmm. shuffle melody, mm-hmm. which applies to a lot of things that I know about like Japanese pop music which is of course going to apply to like JRPG video mm-hmm, game music mm-hmm. and it, it was very funny that a part that you thought was like really repellent was like one of my big moments I was like oh yeah I, I get this 
100 well, You know, like, I enjoyed the loading screen music when I played Final Fantasy XI <laughs> in high school, right? But it was, like, soothing and nice and Japanese, you know? But, uh, like, in the context of, yeah, it, felt, it feels like a holding pattern. But let's start there, and I'm interested in your thoughts on the Japanese pop thing, because that's something you know way more about than me. And, yeah. Okay, yeah. Huh. So we're going to continue on bygone fortunes uh, from where the black metal guy left off. Uh, we adjusted the timestamps a little bit because I, I started like at the beginning of this riff, so we're just adjoining them. We're going to start like halfway through the riff that he ended off. Or not riff, because this is not guitar-based music at all. I, I, I think the guitars on this might actually be programmed. I, I don't know if they're actually physically played. But they have a very digital quality. Maybe they're just kind of FL Studio guitar patches <laughs> or something like that, which would make sense for this music. Yeah, but anyway, would, yeah. we'll continue from there and progress. Okay, so your sample closed on, like, now I, your sample closed on that big piano flourish I was talking about. Mm -hmm. But, but it got a lot of build up to it, too. Does that change it for you? That it has a little bit more preparation for it? Um, maybe. I mean, again, I liked that big piano flourish part, but, you know, the other thing is, this stuff does just kind of wash by me. Um, so mm -hmm. like, I think, well, I also thought I was doing the other sample when we did that last one. So I missed, I, I missed some shit. So it could have done it on the last sample, but yes, I thought the build up to that is good. And we were talking about that melody in the middle. You know, that, that's, that's, I, I don't think it's deep, but it's cool. I like that. Well, it's, it's, uh, that's got a, it's got a feel. That's got a feel there. Well, because it has that, like, broken pause. Like, mm -hmm. 
yeah. like three quarters of the way through the first measure, which mm-hmm. makes it interesting, which makes it, I would say like that in particular makes it very distinct from extreme metal or more mm-hmm. broadly like Western music. That's a very Eastern kind of thing to do. Or it's a well, it also just makes it like beat music. Yeah, I mean, it makes like, it more in the sense like that there can be this like music. yeah, light hip hoppy electronic subtext to a lot of anime soundtrack stuff, right? But like, yeah, yeah. So how does this tie into the Japanese pop thing then? <clears throat> so Japanese music, um, uh, Japanese pop music, especially I, what we're talking about, is a legacy after the occupation in World War Two, where uh, a lot of American soldiers occupying Japan after 1945 brought over early jazz and blues records, which are extremely important to our understanding of Japanese pop music today. Um, And obviously this is based on a, an assortment of sources that I've explored over the years because I really like Japanese music in general. But what a few people have said is that, you know, Japanese pop music... You were watching that, the Cowboy Bebop guys thing about jazz. You were watching that last summer. Oh, yeah. No. (laughs) Cowboy Bebop's uh, soundtrack is outstanding. Oh, the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack is fantastic. Yeah, as as a nerdy middle school, I loved that. But he made some other show that was just about jazz, right? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it's called Kids on the Slope, which is Mm -hmm. specifically about jazz in the early 1950s in rural japan uh wonderful anime uh everybody should watch it really cool shit um and it's a time period that i'm personally kind of obsessed with the idea of oh we're we're bringing in jazz and blues into this culture where it's completely alien and they're adopting it and changing it um so something defining about Japanese pop and rock and metal to a degree is the idea of the kind of the propulsive up-tempo beat against a, a sort of sad minor key melody. This mm-hmm. has become a, a defining quality of Japanese music in a way. Oh, a lot of anime opening music is like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, like, listening to that, like, staggered melody at the beginning of my sample or the end of yours was, like, you know, this, like, little syncopated kind of, like, swing note rhythm. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's, like, that's, like, a real, that, that requires a real concerted understanding of this style of music. And he can arrive at it from however many places from anime or video game soundtracks or through a serious study, but it all, it represents like a, a recognition of a very important part of this music, uh, which is that dichotomy, you know, the, the sort of up-tempo rhythm against a, a sad melody, which is not something you find too often in Western pop music. And, uh, I think it's very cool to hear that applied with black metal aesthetics. And I, I think a lot of that is on something like Hector Rock. Kind of like mm-hmm. up-tempo, kind of like jiving. Europop does it. Europop definitely does it. Or like Eurotrance stuff. 
That's Definitely kind of what. Yeah, the stuff that verges on electronic. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and I think ATC it's just, or Cascada. It's just really cool, but just like that that opening. It was interesting. It was the closing of your stuff. You were like Final Fantasy loading music, and I'm like, there we go. Dun 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 dun. dun. I was like, oh fuck yeah, that's that's cool. That's not the sort of thing you hear in Western music very often. And I like to hear this guy kind of adopting that to this aesthetic. Isn't isn't this okay? I agree. I mean, like again, like I kind of like all these sounds, right? This is like pleasant. It's pleasant anime soundtrack music. Um, isn't it? Par- aren't moments like that perilously close to uh, chill beats to study and relax to, or is that just a hill you're going to die on? Because I mean, I mean, maybe you will. I'm not going to die on that hill. I'm going to say, what's wrong with chill beats to study and relax? You, you just died on the hill. <laughs> is 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 that dying on the hill? Well, you're making you're making a final stand. Let's say I think it's up to the listeners to decide. No, I'm who dies. no. I I, I would uh, say no. To clarify, I would say. What if Chill Beats to Study and Relax to is and something I mean, like, that... Chill Beats to Study to Relax to is, like, inoffensive, right? There are lots of things that are quite like that. Sort of, like, jazzy, down-tempo, Japanese-ish electronica that, like, mm. I hear from time to time, and I'm like, well, this is nice. Yeah. Mm. And, I, okay, so I I get where you're getting at. Um, so I guess my argument would be... Does everything associated with this sort of aesthetic, black metal, extreme metal, raw metal, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, does all of it need to be hyper-immediate? Does all of it need to be something that encompasses all of our intention? Or is there a place for chill black metal beats to study and relax to, you know? Hi, this is Taylor from Crushing the Scepter, and you're listening to Terminus Podcast. Black Metal Guy. Yeah, Death Metal Guy. Fifteen minutes ago, I consumed a THC gummy. You have, at best, a 45-minute window to convince me of your feelings of anatomia. So many people take their lives for granted. This is your opportunity. <laughs> okay, well, we better hurry up. All right. Well, the death metal guy is, well, the death metal guy is still with us. Um, I'm, I'm always stoned when we do this shit. So, but, but shit will get really weird in the middle of a sample at one point. <laughs> All right. So, um, Anatomia, Corporeal Torment, Mesako and Ojo Records, Dark Descent Records, um... This is a band, the last band sounded like it was from Japan. This is a band that is actually from Japan. (laughs) The last band sound, the last band sort of sounded like metal. This band is metal. Um, And uh, Anatomia is a, uh, I mean, I partly know them through you, but partly through a, it's just been a name I've always known through a, I think they did splits with Coffins back in the day, but they also did a split with a band called... See if I can find it. Um, they've done a they lot did a, of splits. They, oh, they've done a ton of splits, but they did a split with a band called Grudge. 
Um, a whole grudge, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've, we've, this is something hell. we bonded over years ago. What is it? Doomed to hell, damned in hell, doomed to death, damned in hell? Yes. The Coffin's uh, Anatomia Grudge. Grudge is some of the most horrifying music ever, and it's awesome. I didn't, and I, I, I didn't I realize... I didn't realize you'd actually heard Grudge because I was oh. going to recommend them to you on this I, show. <laughs> I can't believe there was a time in my youth when, during the daytime, I would just walk around listening to things like that and nodding. <laughs> you know? Um, Grudge, is, a, Grudge is a fucking nightmare band. Which yeah, everybody listening to the show should listen to Grudge. It's like a it's like sewer... It's sort of like extremely crusty death metal, but like... Not like Wasteland Barbarian crust, like Sewer Mutant crust. Um, <laughs> yes. Someone on someone on Metal Archives once described it, I think, maybe, yeah, once described it as like hooting vocals. It is very hooting. I've, I've heard that love, split. A tortured hoot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um... So anyway, Anatomia though is the better known band, I for for good reason. Um, and they're generally associated with autopsy worship. But what do you think, Death Metal guy? Um. So uh, this was a last minute replacement. I wasn't even aware that this record was coming out because Anatomia is like a band that I check in on periodically, and I've I'm a long time fan since the uh, the first full length. Uh, dissected humanity back in 2005 um there's a lot of well yeah so anatomia began as a sort of autopsy worship band but i think that's reductive because autopsy um full disclosure a band that i loved as a kid and i think almost more than anything in extreme metal has aged really badly um Mm. Autopsy is still good music in a sense, but it's like there's elements of their sound that have become extremely played out. Um, these sort of, I, I describe them as like horror movie riffs, you know, these mm-hmm. uh, kind of like slasher movie, big fucking like lilting horror movie melodies. And it just, it, it doesn't work anymore. I remember um, when I was younger and I tried it. I, th- I think I felt like the slow parts dragged. It's hard to say whether that was me as a young person only wanting things to be fast or an accurate impression. But eh, little column A, little column B. Um, in some ways, Autopsy was very up, very much up my alley. Right, super punked out, raw, early death metal. But I've never really listened to them. Yeah. That's fair enough. I, I I would say that for you, you should listen to the following band, Abscess more Mm -hmm. very like straight like crust death metal Mm -hmm. um and i would say that abscess is probably the origin very far back of stuff like maggot stomp death metal um interesting a lot of it yeah a lot of it sounds a lot like abscessed which is a a really cool band um Mm -hmm. so anatomia was considered sort of autopsy worship for a long time. And yeah, I mean, that's a starting point for the music, but ultimately it's, uh, it's got its own vibe. It's got its own sound. I mean, it's got a sort of weird, groovy, depraved quality that autopsy gestured towards, but never fully arrived at. Um, 
And they were also compared to a lot of other people from the, like, Japanese Doom scene, which is kind of its own thing. Like, a lot of people compared Anatomia to Coffins, and it's only in recent years, although we realized that way back in the day, that Coffins is Celtic Frost and Hellhammer. It's mm, not, yes. you know... No, it's people not just, this. People describe Coffins as a Doom Death band, but... No, it's it's Celtic Frost and Hellhammer. It's before Doom and Death Metal were a thing. Yeah, and like straight discharge, master slowed down by 50%, but it doesn't reduce the momentum. It just makes your skanks all the more powerful. Yeah, you take you take your discharge You take the discharge record on vinyl and you play it on 33 instead of 45. Yeah, that's that's basically what it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, like, it's I, awesome. I bet they had that experience. I bet they had like an old crust punk record Mm -hmm. and they accidentally played it at the wrong speed and that inspired their whole Well, no, it like literally like it's from winter. Um, but yeah, winter, of course, the best parts on that winter record are like that. Um, the, uh, but yeah, I, I hear exactly what you mean. And it's like, the funny thing is coffins is so groovy. And so good that they sound faster than the bands that play, like, four times as fast. Yeah. And it's also, like, unbelievably brutal. Like, <laughs> like Coffins is some of the most brutal music ever made. <laughs> All right. Well, we better start. We we're, Okay, we're talking about cool Japanese. We better, uh, we better talk about Anatomia again. Um, okay, so Anatomia... So- um, all right, so you're you're starting at this idea of autopsy plus kind of like crusty doom stuff, and uh, you know I've I've popped back and forth listening to Anatomia over the years, you know, checking out a new record or usually a new split, and Anatomia is a band with that has very high peaks and very low valleys. You can tell while listening to them there's records they care about and records they don't really care about. Mm-hmm. There's certain splits that are just very phoned in, and then there's some splits where they're totally on top of it and they really give a shit. Um, and and they've done so many splits over the years that's become kind of their standard mode. But now, listening to Corporeal Torment... Um, I expected it to be cool, but I did not expect it to be, like, severe and ugly and cruel in the way that it is. I mean, this is really malignant, awful music. Yeah, I mean, autopsy-type stuff, and even arguably autopsy, is kind of like fun death metal um, in some mm. sense. You know, bang your head motherfucker kind of stuff um this is uh deeply enjoyable but not at all fun this is very serious this is very serious very arty music oh yeah because i mm-hmm. my my hot take for this one is going to be this might be the first torture doom record since the late 2000s and if you're wondering what the hell is Torture Doom, you can become a Terminus patron and listen to <laughs> bonus episode where the death metal guy gives the entire history of Torture Doom, a genre nobody cares about. 
<laughs> well, after doing that uh, that bonus episode with me, how do you feel about that assessment? This is no, I think that's to me, right. this is pretty fucking torture doom. There's yeah, a lot I, of worm phlegm on this. Yes, definitely. The sort of more the the less. Yeah, the great thing about worm phlegm is it works on this very abstract but also very immediate level. And worm phlegm is kind of riff driven in a way that almost creates similarities to death and black metal and thrash and shit like that. Very slow, obviously, but mm-hmm. you don't get that here. But it's definitely works viscerally in a way that's kind of different from some of the more just. This is satisfying to listen to in a way that Worm Flem is, as opposed to the sort of purely torturous Torture Doom bands, um, which yeah, I know the, you the find purely satisfying to listen stuff. to because you're a fucking maniac. But like, <laughs> uh, um, but like, so this is. Uh, if anything, yeah, Torture Doom, I would say, is almost, like, the first track is kind of just there, like, okay, let's do a muddy, blasting, plus slow part song. That's their kind of crusty death metal thing. Personally, mm-hmm. I like the fast parts and don't like the slow parts. Okay, whatever. The real part, the real record, I think you would agree, is the last three tracks. Um, yeah. Yeah. And those are the only ones we sampled from. Um, well, it's, it's only four tracks on the whole record. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like, they, they do a first track just to say, hey, we're Anatomia. We like to play death metal low and loud. And then they then they go for this more expansive, ambitious thing. And, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's basically Torture Doom. You've described Torture Doom as a subgenre of Funeral Doom. Well, you definitely get more Funeral Doom majesty here. Although, in a very sort of uh, leprous and crippled form. Um, and, you know, like, but there is a kind of beauty to all, a, a lot of it. And, it, you know, it might remind me of, like, more, you know, the parts of the Peaceville stuff that are kind of really slow and elegiac. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, um, but... Like the ugliest parts off, like, early My Dying Bride. Yeah, or even if you took, like, the kind of melodicism you get in something like Sear Me, but instead of being kind of canned arpeggio pianos and the guy singing... No, I mean, that song's great, but it's very dated production, right? But, um, Mm -hmm. like, those kind of lush melodies, very slow, crawling, depressive, but here it's all texture, right? There's Mm -hmm. no, like, you know, there's no sort of pop quality to grab onto. Um, well, it's interesting because, like, the uh, the promo material for this described mm-hmm. them, especially in some of the uh, very abstract kind of, like, a dark ambient moments that, like, mm-hmm. dot across this record, which are significant moments. They described them as being, like, almost music concrete in the way that they are delivered, which I, I kind of get in a way. It's like it's deeply you know, infatuated with ideas of extreme texture and sound objects. And we're going to come across some of those. Music Concrete is because yours truly forgets. Oh, Music Concrete is like proto-industrial music from early 20th century. I thought it was entirely sample-based or like sort of recording real stuff. I, I, I mean, Music Concrete is a... It's an idea that was fully established after it was done. You know, there was a lot of very early ideas of sampling and sound mm-hmm. objects. I, I, I guess the best way to describe it would be 
an attempt at industrial music before the tools necessary for that really emerged. Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll learn more about music concrete later. But, like, um, <laughs> yes, definitely feels at times like dark ambient or like the kind of like ritual industrial stuff that I like. I mean, Ten Horned Beast is something that's sort of on the cusp between that and drone metal and shit like that. This could be like that. Um, but yeah, let's listen to it, man. Yeah, so let's go to the uh, the second track, uh, which we kind of adjoin. Let's listen to uh, Slime of Putrescence. So as you said, the... Uh, the Not just opening, any slime. <laughs> the opening track, as you said, Dismemberment, is like them doing... Let's do a crowd pleaser for guys who like the kind of like crusty death stuff. And it's a good track. It, yeah, it's, it's got it's got very cool, like weird slowed down blast parts mm-hmm. and like big dramatic winter riffs, but like you said, ultimately this this record starts with slime of putrescence. So uh I'm gonna go towards the end of this track and then uh Yeah, you'll see what happens with our sample. So let's go to uh the end of Slime of Putrescence. That's some of the most, like, brutally ugly shit we've ever featured on the show, I think. That's pretty ugly. Yeah, that is um, uglier. Is that uglier than, um, what's the, um, the Swedish band by the guy from Sacramentum? Um, oh, shit. Which one? <laughs> we, we, we liked that one. The, the one that was almost torture doom. The, uh, um. Bergeraven? No, no. Um, no, we featured it on the show. It was the, uh, anyway, we did, we did one that was pretty ugly back towards the beginning of the show, but this is very ugly. Yeah. Oh, uh, funeral orchestra. Yeah, there we go. But like yeah, no. funeral orchestra is more kind of like crypto black metal riffy, whereas this is just desolate. 
Yeah. No, this is... Uh, this is, like, very Torture Doom, in a way. It's like... <laughs> it's... I mean, this record as a whole is more of a funeral doom record than anything, I would say. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's... The thing that fascinates me about this is just, like, relative to a lot of the Torture Doom stuff, how listenable this is for me. Like, Hmm. not only do I find this impressive and I, oh, that's so fucked up and kind of oppressive way, I, like really enjoyed listening to it um and it has something to do with i mean like listen to those sort of you get that very tritone based cycling power chords at the base of that riff and then you get Mm -hmm. this sort of delicate single note sounding over it in this kind of unpredictable way and they're not they're not really in they're, they're at some pretty dissonant intervals but it nevertheless has a a kind of lushness here you know like flowers from a corpse or something well it's very that's a very worm phlegm technique I oh would is say. it okay i mean yeah because well, worm phlegm was always based off these like ugly dissonant kind of chord intervals with a a sort of delicate lead melody over it mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah i remember okay i remember that one melody you're talking about yeah yeah, yeah, and uh, specifically, like, even more attached to this, a lot of the Worm Phlegm lead melodies were very kind of Eastern or, like, Arabic-inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a little bit of that here, you know? Just this, like, dreadful kind of crawling tritone idea. Where you, like I said on the bonus episode, you, you see the Hashishans, you know, smoking their pipes before they plot their new murder you know <laughs> uh, maybe i could hear something like that last little melody as like that um we we all we just have different associations too but um mm-hmm. so let's go straight into uh we're gonna start with the end of slime of putrescence and then show how it launches into the next track despaired void and i really oh, like this yeah. moment oh despaired void is that is the much more kind of traditionally funeral doom track on this every yeah, that, there's only a lot of the stuff only... I've been... no oh, go, go ahead no, oh i was just gonna say <laughs> ah fuck go go yeah okay so there's only four tracks on this album and all of them have very distinct personalities and despaired void is a beautiful to me a, a beautifully sad funeral doom track this is kind of like the most romantic song to me like it's it's like horrible and mutated but there's a a core of like peaceville doom on this track yeah that that's yeah i think that is a presence here so um yeah let's go end of slime of putrescence and then we'll roll it in
It's it's very um it's very peaceful and it's also very Japanese at the same time. It's it's unique unto itself, I would say. Apart from well, certain Jap- like certain like very deep cut Japanese doom stuff. Oh really? Yeah, uh, one Japanese thing this reminds me of is corrupted. Um Yes, I can see that. Corrupted is, you know, again, it's sort of like, what is it? Oh, kind of crusty doom death or something. But a lot of the corrupted is like rich, kind of neurosis but like sort of richly atmospheric guitar. A lot of corrupted is very beautiful. Um, oh, yeah. Like and, El Mundo Frio is yeah. the album. Yeah. So this is um, similar to that in a way, but. You know, what's awesome, it's kind of a, there's a uh, elegant sort of kind of consummate melodic riff at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And then it just dies away into that last little dong, 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 dong. And uh, that just keeps ringing out over and over. Um, this also, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it also comes in via Peaceville, but there is authentic goth feel here i think yes Um, especially the most decadent miserable goth stuff so uh like i mention them a lot on this show so someday we'll have to play them but lycia um ionia or something like that um the nastiest parts of christian death or like pornography era cure has this quality of being pornography era cure has the quality of being often very consonant very kind of like Often kind of like Dorian scale melodies, but like so fucked up. Um, yeah. And uh, similar, just chiming, echoing, spaced out guitar style uh, and sort of weird collisions of that with other stuff. So like there, throughout, you've got the whole idea of the more melodic part superimposed on a bass that's just like bedrock death doom chug. Mm-hmm. Like... That's a riff. And, you know, that, that's the thing that black metal used to specialize in, which is putting something melodic simultaneously with something grinding. Mm-hmm. This band is doing that at a very low tempo, but it sounds awesome. I love this song. And just, like, about this record in general, like, I felt that, um, you know, these are very long songs. I, I got my final sample by, I still had at least 10 minutes to go in Mortem. You know, if there's a quick and dirty way to sometimes listen to these records if I need to, right? Where it's like, okay, the death metal guy sampled that part. I'm not going to sample that part. Uh, you can, you can, some occasionally one can listen to, uh, you know, two thirds of a record or something. Like, I couldn't turn this off. Yeah. Like, I wanted well, to get going is... on the show, and I, I was like, I wanted to get going on the show, and I couldn't turn it off. Uh, you know, it's like, you have to respect the record and let it play to its conclusion. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, turning to gawk at a car crash. Yeah, yeah, I, I, this is, this is like horribly desperate music. Like, mm-hmm. this is, um, I'll, I'll go on a limb and say this is the first torture doom record as a whole in many years. Um, and I, I don't know how much, you know, worm phlegm or Senthil these guys were listening to, but they have to have been exposed to it. 
They, like, they've got to be. I mean, if there's any place where you can count on people, like, knowing their shit, it's Japan. <laughs> like, Definitely. guys in these bands have comprehensive <laughs> knowledges of, like, everything everything remotely related to their genre, right? Like, Japanese D-beat bands can tell you about, like, demos recorded in, you know, uh, you know, the marshlands of East Anglia in 1985. <laughs> so, they definitely can yeah. There, there's something about this record though that really touches me and it's this whole there's a real sense of like suffering across it you know it, it's like it, nowadays like extreme doom stuff has been commodified in a way you know yeah. in part by bands <laughs> like Bellwitch you are, make fun of Ahab a lot. I, yeah, I make fun of Ahab a lot because Ahab are just like whatever to me. But I, I know that a lot of people like them. But I would say like the bigger snake's head would be Bellwitch. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because that's well, a case also where... Also Sun Up. Yeah, Sun to a degree because mm -hmm. um, yeah. they were affiliated with so many cool people. Um, yeah. But Bellwitch, I would say, is the one. Because Bellwitch is like, it's it's sort of a, a McGlaw situation where it's like Bellwitch are a very good band who led to terrible things, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, we got to get to the backside of the record, the twenty-minute epic called Mortem, and this is this is a torture doom song in the same vein as like disjecta membrae but like a little less noisy a little more sparse and uh i remember hearing this you know just the other day i was like holy shit there's people actually doing this music right now mm -hmm. so uh we've got adjoining samples for this one mm -hmm. and uh let's go about halfway into uh mortem and uh in a uh, a horrible fucking break going into your section. And I'll talk about like the sort of abstract feeling I get after we play this.
That's just, that's fucking horrible. <laughs> it's just like, uh, there's just a pulse that keeps going. Yeah. And it's like, uh, the, the slowdown when it comes in. It, 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 it's just, oof. God, there's a real weight, a real horror to that, which is not common in Doom anymore. You know, it's, it's easy to make Doom music that's kind of like romantic and sad and like, as you described, about girls in a way. Mm-hmm. This is not about girls. This is about a... Or if, a, it's, oh. if it's about girls, it's very go to jail. Yeah, no... <laughs> This is about, this is not about girls. This is about, like, horrible internal feelings. Mm. And uh, I described it, you know, writing about the record in the notes. It was like, you know, as a direct question, what's the the sickest physically that you've ever been? Mm -hmm. You know, for me, there's been a couple moments in my life where I was physically ill. Oh, you know, like, yeah, 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 I, uh, yeah. And, uh, I was, I was so sick, so feverish that, uh, thought processes didn't work the correct way. I couldn't create coherent thoughts in my head. I was like, you know, I, I was probably cracking like a 103 degree fever, you know, just like, what almost on death's doorstep, you know, just, and then just there being there, you know, for periods of time that felt to me like eternity, but only passed in minutes in real time. And this kind of captures that feeling of just being disoriented and, uh, and, and delirious, you know, just like it, a sort of agony, a sort of suffering that lasts forever. And I'm realizing, again, you know, I described it as such before, but it's like describing it in these terms makes it torture, Doom. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is just, like, incredibly cruel music that wants to present those worst moments physically to you this this has nothing to do ultimately with shit that i associate with normal funeral doom this is about those moments of like primal suffering and that is fucking awesome that there's guys making that music now you know yeah so what i like about this part is no matter how slow it is there's just this insistent pulse to it um, mm-hmm. and you get this feeling of like, <coughs> pardon me, ah, sneeze, so brutal <laughs> I sneezed. Um, you get this feeling of sort of like, uh, bells chiming, you know, I'm a sucker for bell sounds, right? But, um, yeah. and things that sound like bells, the just deep resonant tones, you get this, uh, the repeated insistent chime of the, you know, low end chords, just jong. Jung. And then right here, you're going to hear those higher, the sort of higher goth line of guitar come back in faintly, making uh, 
airier bell sounds. And it just sounds like, you know, bells in the mist, um, haunting, desolate, kind of bloodborne territory. <laughs> mm. let's, uh, let's go to, so we'll just keep rolling. part is very traditional funeral doom like Thergathon in a way how so uh, this sort of like climbing complex guitar melody yeah. you know it, it's a lot of funeral doom nowadays is based off of like a big very slowed down chord structure stuff. Mm -hmm. Thergathon made real melodies. They had mm -hmm. like riffs. Skepticism Skepticism had riffs too, but they were under the keys, and Thergathon was very riff forward. Riff forward but also very erudite in a way that oh, you sure. don't usually hear. Very austere riffing. I mean, so it does yeah, Thergathon ticks all boxes for me. Um... 
Dude, yeah, no, I hear that for sure. I mean, you got uh, a minute before we closed out, and but it started doing it again when we closed out. You got the climbing escalator. He lays on the drums. And I think that's what you're talking about, those ascending chords. Yeah. And and you could hear, right, just that second line is making these high chiming sounds in the background, and that's definitely a guitar. But it has the wonderful kind of, like, like semi-tonal quality of actual bells. It's, yeah. um, it, you know, I mean, I, yeah, it's definitely disturbing and dark shit, but to me, this whole passage is just gorgeous. This is like, I mean, I'm not trying to say like, oh, so edgy, haha, you know, I feel at home in this or whatever, but like, it's, um, it's just sort of rich and overwhelming and majestic, uh, while keeping that you know, while keeping the visceral quality, right? You know, this is, most bands wouldn't, if a band is having a record that's structured from let's start on the really sort of upfront banger and then go more out, Uh especially when they're dealing with music this kind of deliberately sprawling and obscure, right? You would just kind of fade out on the sprawling obscurity, I think. Maybe it would dissolve into ambient music or something. Yeah. This, they just, in those last couple minutes, they just start cranking up the metal again while (laughs) while preserving this sort of uh, all the layers of chiming noise they've already built. Um, And uh, you can almost headbang to it. Uh, You know, and like by this point, it's like, yeah, so Torture Doom is clearly the right reference point, but at this point it almost feels like they're doing a prettier version of like the things Portal was known for back in the day. Mm. Like, Portal, yeah, they got, in some sense, they got like, they became a bit of a, I, I don't know if overrated is the right word, but they became a bit of a meme, right? In part, yeah. and, you know, their sound was, I don't think it was a cheap trick, but they had this specific signature sound. Um,. Portal's a cool band that I should go back to, but, like, Portal definitely wasn't, like, uh... Portal was definitely, like, help get me out of here music. Um, this has that quality, but it also has this sort of lush, entrancing quality that I find fascinating. Um, and, uh... Yeah, and disoriented. I don't know. It's fucking awesome, man. Yeah. No. No portal there's an escape (laughs) (laughs) 